Welcome to the Plastic Please Restore podcast. We are your hosts, Trey the Explainer. And me, Miles Greb. A podcast about the natural world. Things that people claim are part of the natural world. And things that used to be. All right, so we're back with another episode. Yeah. It's our, it's our second episode, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing the first one, and we got a lot of feedback from it. Uh, no angry emails. I'd like to see more angry emails coming in just to see that passion, <laughs> you know. But uh, it was really fun talking some science and some cryptids and some hollow earth with everybody. And uh, we're really excited for this episode because we got some uh, really interesting stuff coming up. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be great. Yeah, so this time we're going to um, talk a little bit about DNA. And we're also going to talk about uh, Bigfoot with um, one of the world's leading experts in Bigfoots, like the main guy that you'd see on History Channel, Nat Geo, Monster Quest. You know, he's the guy. He's Captain Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to be talking to him. It's going to be really cool. Yeah. Um, definitely. Um, so the first thing I wanted to talk about was like how like DNA, right? Yeah. Self-replicating molecule. Let's to the complexity and diversity of life. Pretty cool, pretty cool molecule. You know, it's top, all right. top five molecules all time. <laughs> the thing about it, though, is it's or it degrades, right? Mm. Um, you know, this is an information storing molecule. It, it obviously is susceptible to radiation and decay over time. Um, so we really had this idea that there's only so long that it's going to exist, and then it's backed up by us trying to find DNA in older organic substances. And not do it so successfully. Um, hmm. Yeah. So f- for a long time, we thought, um, you know, a million years was like the most you could even possibly think about getting DNA, but you probably would never get it. Right? Yeah. Million years was like the very, very top. Yeah. It's for the most like, part, it was like, if it's older than like 50,000 years, it might get tough. It's like, it would be technically possible to hit five home runs in a baseball game. You know, but it's not you're not expecting it. It shouldn't happen. You know, it's like an outlier, but you could imagine a situation where it would happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we can make sports metaphors on this <laughs> podcast, but stick with me. But so, so we have found DNA um, and got a genome sequence from about 560,000 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. So like that's pretty impressive. And we have DNA going back to about 780,000 years ago that we got in 2013 which at the time was considered like just absolutely amazing almost impossible discovery yeah um but recently it's been reported in in nature um one of the premier scientific um journals that we have dna evidence now um from a woolly mammoth the big boy himself um dating to 1.2 million years ago yeah which is amazing that's just it's beautiful right like yeah. of, of course it's not you know like as good a quality dna in terms of information like you know raw um as dna we'd get from you if we pricked your finger right like then hmm. you know there's obviously going to be um gaps and stuff. parts of it yeah you can't necessarily sequence a whole genome from it but we still have dna information one point uh one point what 1.2 million years ago whoa that's nuts yeah yeah so that that's fantastic right that that's like that's pre-plasticine way long time ago. You, um, oh my gosh. At that time, there were still Australopithecus still bump, bumping around. Yeah. That's nuts. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this, this is a really fantastic discovery. And not only that, like not only do we have the DNA and that's amazing for the 
actual scientific field of recovering DNA, but it tells us about the natural world um, because from this information, we've learned that there were speciation events of mammoths we didn't know happened. Um, Yeah, so not just through interbreeding, but through um, selection and environmental pressures, it appears that different mammoth species um, began populating the region, which we now know because of this DNA. So it helps fulfill our picture of this time period in the animals and also just gives us more evidence of um, how animals evolve, you know. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, that's re- that's really neat. You could figure out sort of where things branched away from each other, constructing a rough timeline. That's really cool. What were the conditions that um, allowed the DNA to preserve so well? It's cold. Okay, so, so there was like a mummification. Yeah, so basically like like caves or cold areas, areas that would be under less environmental pressure, less oxidization, less exposure to radiation, you know. And by radiation, we don't mean, you know, nuclear weapons. Like the sun, <laughs> it's radiation, right? Like it's all over. Yeah. So like all, all these things affect it. So um, being in colder, isolated um, areas is basically how we do this. This is why we find a lot of stuff in permafrost that we can get really great information from. Hmm. But even still, the scientists who discovered this DNA thought, you know, some some permafrost discoveries like woolly rhinos and stuff, they were not able to get this high quality of DNA from. Mm. So they they were skeptical that they could get it from 1.2 million years ago, but they did it, which is just fantastic and, an, and a sign that science keeps delivering the goods, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. It um it reminded me of this other story, which we might cover in more depth one day, but um, Mary Switzer. Mm-hmm. It was a woman who had claimed to find dinosaur DNA. And, and a T-Rex bone, right? Yeah, not just any dinosaur, you know, the dinosaur. The dinosaur. Right? Yeah, T-Rex. Godzilla, um, but real. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <just to> <laughs> that was an actual headline we saw. Some, they were writing about some new T-Rex no- news, which is cool. But the headline was like trying to be like, hey, everyone, Godzilla's in the news. T-Rex is like Godzilla. T-Rex, but real. It's oh like, my God. T-Rex doesn't need to ride the coattails of any other pop culture phenomenon. <laughs> it, when was it discovered? Like 1910? Something like I, that? I don't even know, but he's the damn T-Rex, okay? Like, <laughs> he, he runs the joint. He's the king. 1905 is T-Rex, so it's, it's over a century old. If you have Rex it. in your name, right? You yeah. don't need anyone's help. No, nah, you're the king. You're the king. <laughs> It's good to be the king. Basically, she claimed that there was soft tissue with possible, you know, DNA um, fragments that was 68 million years old. Oof. Yeah, which is, I mean, the scientific community does not agree with this at all. This is this is an extreme outlier opinion, and it's it's worth noting. Um, I don't mean to ad hominize her, but you know, Mary Switzer um, was a creationist. And, you know, that does that does cloud the conversation, of Mm. course. But but the scientific findings on their own on their own have not, you know, passed peer review. It's not consensus, but it's it's just an interesting topic about finding really old DNA. I just thought I should bring up. Yeah, I think I heard I I heard about this story and that was often reported that they like cut open the bone and they um, the fossilized bone and said, like, there was there was blood still in it and stuff like that, but that's yeah, a ba- bit of an exaggeration. Basically, soft tissue. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like it was like protein protein breakdown components and stuff. It wasn't. It, it's a little. It's a little sketchy on if it's actually like soft tissue. The bones like pretty fossilized, but it's like maybe partially fossilized with maybe some breakdown components of uh, molecules in there. 
yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's beyond the realm of all possibility, but it it, it the possibility is extremely low. Mm-hmm. And this would not be enough evidence to convince me, and it hasn't been enough evidence to convince the experts in the fields. Yeah. Al- although, just like any cryptid, it's something I wish were true. Yeah. You know, if we could get dinosaur DNA, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be, um, that would, I would love that. Where do you get a hundred million year old dinosaur blood? <laughs> just for some other examples of um, older proteins of this type that we have found, we have found, you know, like. 300,000 or older protein tissues from like an old rhino tooth mm-hmm. or eggs or from eggshells from an older ostrich. So like the, we have soft tissues that are quite old, but 68 million years old isn't quite old. That's pretty damn old. You know? Yeah, that, it's, it's, a, it's a huge jump. It's an order of magnitude, right? Um, yeah. Just for record, by the way, as for um, hominid um, DNA, that goes to about um, 430,000 years old. How we have hominid DNA. So that's like long time. That's that's great grandpa times, I don't know, some big exponent, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that, that's that's kind of the story of how we know these things. Um, as for can, can we clone this DNA? Can we bring back the mammoth from this? You know, almost certainly not. There's not going to be enough information there. You have to yeah. have much more, you know, like I said, we can't get a genome from this or anything. Um, <laughs> I, I personally am a proponent of bringing back the mammoth. Yeah. Um, I don't know Recovered if we want to talk the... about, about that for two hours but um <laughs> maybe that's another episode but uh you know this this doesn't get us there but it does help us know more about them which is something that always fascinates me and i think it's awesome discovery so yeah i think that's amazing yeah no dna is really cool just to make sure too i've, I've heard creationists use the possibility of like millions of years old dna disproving like the age of the earth like oh it yeah. means the earth is younger no that's not that's not yeah ba- basically because if a scientist makes a claim saying we do not think it is likely um that dna would live past say two million years right we'll just put it the ultimate extreme pretty mm-hmm. much from m- measures um and then if you find dna that exists three million years ago well scientists were wrong mm-hmm. so you know that that's a big deal because then you can say well they don't understand the past as well as they think they do and then you to their mind, put a doubt in evolution, which bolsters their theological claims. Mac, look, you're wasting our time. You're not going to get us to not believe in evolution. And why is that? Because the smartest scientists in the entire world all agree that it's real. I'm glad you brought that up. Because, Mr. Reynolds, science is a liar sometimes. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, which is just not how we do science, you know? Mm. Um you you gotta build a hypothesis, try to disprove your hypothesis, not start with the hypothesis and just try to find anything you can to prove it right. It's just right. Not, how, not how we do it. Not That's the not how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> um but you have a story about a different king, not the dinosaur king, not the king of the big mammals, but a different king. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna talk about um this was a discovery that was made, huh, when was it made? Probably like early twenty tens. Um so they were they were making a well maybe I, they were making a parking lot or something like that. They were doing some construction, and underneath the parking lot in England, they found a skeleton, uh, and they're like, "Oh crap, whose skeleton is this?" And it turns out they they did a lot of tests. They didn't know who it was. There were a lot of speculation that it was somebody important and somebody very special and unique. Um, like for instance, the it had a really severe like scoliosis. Um, it's like spine was really kind of twisted. Mm-hmm. Um, the age kind of matched a certain set of uh, ideas. And um, 
and DNA testing was able to confirm that the skeleton belonged to King Richard III. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's one of the it's one of the really like major success stories of archaeology because in archaeology, most of the time you're not finding somebody famous. You're finding somebody. Oh that's sure. Kind of nobody. Yeah. <laughs> you're finding Tim. You'd find it Tim or Tim the farmer, yeah, or Johnny the peasant, something like that. Um, so this and so like a lot, there was a lot of debate on if because um, like uh, Richard the Third, um, he famously was supposedly a hunchback, um, and a lot of for historians for a while d- thought that that was an exaggeration um, or a fabrication of history to demonize him. Yeah, like a political cartoon, basically. Political cartoon to make him more like sinister. Well, like, like creepy. Trump isn't literally a Cheeto. If if we found him, like you, he would not have Cheeto DNA. You know? <laughs> he wouldn't have orangutan DNA. But yeah, uh, <laughs> um, that's why uh, Richard the Third is kind of like the inspiration for uh, Tyrion in uh, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones because he's cause yeah. he's kind of like physically yeah. different. People would judge story. him on that. Um, so they confirmed that the Richard III probably had a, a little bit of a hunchback, maybe not as extreme as sure. um, some histories made it out to be. But the skeleton had a crooked little back and then it, one shoulder higher than the other. Um, I don't know much about English royalty, mostly because I'm an American. I yeah. just feel like, you know, I ain't down with that stuff. <laughs> no, I only know this much because of like Game of Thrones and stuff. And I finished sure, a book yeah, that was... Uh, well, yeah, yeah I, I finished a book recently. It was uh, the York Brothers York, and it was all about the the three the three brother uh, three brothers of the York uh, Yorkish faction, and, and Richard the Third was the sort of last king, and he was he was kind of evil. He was kind of mean. Mean mean is an understatement. He stole sure. the crown from like his his nephews and and probably killed them. Yeah, uh, that happens. Eh, you know. Anyways, they tested the DNA of the skeleton, and they were pretty much like to like a 90 what was it it was like 99 or 98 something a really high percentage confirmed that this was probably richard the third um because so they used um they used two sets from the dna they used uh the mitochondrial dna and the y chromosome dna Mm -hmm. so um you inherit your mitochondria from your mom um powerhouse of the cell mitochondria it has its own separate dna and, and that makes it easier to analyze for scientists um, and you inherit that only from your mom. Your dad does not give the mitochondria. It's only from mom's side. So what they did is that Richard III would have the same mitochondria as his sister. Um, Richard III had no ch- he, no surviving children, so it's it's hard to say um, if he has living direct descendants alive today. But his sister, um, Anne, I think it was Anne, um, had children and there's a direct genealogy all the way down to modern day. People have traced it. And so I'm like, Oh, this person is the son of this and figured out that this, her mitochondrial line should exist in like two people, one in Canada and one in Australia. And Damn, I was hoping the story ended up with it being you. Oh, you that, that, no, that'd be like, awesome. And I'm here to announce that I am the king. I am you the know? king. Cause king. that, that would be great for our podcast. We- I am foreign. Grandson of king under the mountain, I have returned. <laughs> that would be world news. So, oh, that'd be amazing. Well, yeah, when this happened, like they contacted him, everyone was taking pictures of him. Um, even though it means nothing, anyways. Yeah, their mitochondria. There was like one guy in Australia who was like a former doctor or something, um, and then a Canadian woman. Um, and yeah, they had the same exact mitochondrial dna as the richard the third skeleton confirming that there was a 
unbroken line of descent and their their relatives on them, um, which is really amazing uh, that he has direct descendants. And we're able to confirm that using the skeleton, which is really cool. It's just so um, awesome. We found like, you know, primary evidence of a historical person. Yeah, because I'm so used to history just existing in books and stories. It's cool to get confirmation in archaeology. Um, when are we going to find the tomb of Alexander the Great, though, is what I want to know. <laughs> I've been tweeting all about that. We need to find yeah. it. He's the uh, guy we got to find. I mean, he had elephants and conquests and, you know, bisexual romances all over the nations. <laughs> That's the guy, you know. Uh, the interesting part is, so when they tested the Y chromosome DNA, so the Y chromosome is sort of the opposite as the of the mitochondria. So if you're a boy, um, you inherit your Y chromosome from your dad. And he inherits it from his dad all the way back on the male line. Yeah. Um, so they were able to find, um, oh gosh, I need to have their name. It was like Henry, Henry Somerset was sort of like a distant relative of Richard III. And he has direct descendants alive today. So, and they, have the, they share the same great, great grandfather who was a king. Um, so they should have the same Y chromosome uh, DNA. They, sh- they, should be the, the, they should be the same because they shared the same uh, yeah. father line. Um, but what they found is that, so they had four or five Somerset um, descendants that were still alive today. And they tested their DNA. Four out of the five had the same Y chromosome DNA. So mm-hmm. odds are the Henry Somerset line is that line. But when they compared it with Richard III's skeleton, they found that they didn't match, mm. which means that somebody, somebody along the way, we don't know where, is a bastard. Somebody, okay. there was false Good fraternity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that makes you question this whole divine lineage of kings. Hypothesis. Right. There was a whole bunch of articles <laughs> that came out. And like one was really funny where I took a screenshot of it. And it's like they edited like the Queen of England's face. And it's like. Mm-hmm. Queen of England out of power, getting kicked out? Question mark. And it's like her shocked, and it's like DNA evidence confirms she's a bastard. And it's like, oh my gosh. Um, so it's interesting. So, it, and that means that um, it was somebody who was illegitimate. Um, the the mom, the somebody's mother, was sleeping around with a guy, and produced a an, an, a son um, mm-hmm. that was not that was not the king's son or not the her husband's son, which is kind of funny. Um, we don't know which side it occurred on, so it might have been on either side of Henry Somerset or Richard III's, and it might have happened numerous times. We don't know. It's hard to tell. Uh, yeah, but it's funny that it, like, yeah, uh, all the the legitimate lines of royalty and stuff, uh, they, don't mean, they don't mean that much. Oh, the skeleton was uh, really interesting, too, in that. Um, so Richard III, uh, he, like, only reigned for, like, maybe, like, two years or something like that, even if even that. And he died in battle against uh, Henry Tudor, and um, his like body was like hor- like really, really like mutilated after they they killed him. That was just the thing you did, um, and like his his skeleton like shows just like it shows where they did it. Like all the like their his limbs have like blade wounds. I think his pelvis has a knife wound in it, and yeah, it's rough. It, yeah, it medieval rough. warfare wasn't as fun as you think it is. <laughs> like, oh, I'll have a sword. It'd be heck of cool. But they all got swords, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Philip II, like, so he was in battle all the time. And you can see that in his skeleton. His skeleton was beat to shit. Like, it's like, it's rough. Like, um, the reason, one of the reasons why we know it's Philip II is that he had like a limp or he was lame in one leg um later in life towards the end of his life probably like a couple years before he was killed um where like a lance had like went right through his leg and like it made it that like he just had really horrible 
surprising people without knowledge of the germ theory of disease would be able to treat that without him dying. Yeah, yeah. No, it seems like the the ancient Greeks knew a little bit more about um, like treating wounds and stuff than um, people like the Middle Ages. I think they knew like to boil vinegar and stuff and put it yeah, in the Yeah, because they used oil, right? Which I believe can be an antiseptic of prepared, at least a, not a great antiseptic. But yeah, no, yeah. You still probably wasn't, it wasn't as good as yeah. what we have now. But I mean, yeah, every percent you gain is people saved, so. It would be interesting to see if we ever get a chance to look at Alexander the Great's skeleton or, or any any sort of famous battle commander skeleton. It'd be interesting to see the wounds that they would have and see like what's confirmed in the in the body versus what's not. Um, I want to know. We, we can know about their diet a lot from this, right? Because you can tell oh, the yeah. different types of carbon in their teeth. Yeah, you can know like what type of grains they're eating or if they're eating more meat and stuff. Well, it's like it's like. Yeah, because like for example, like with Gigantopithecus, it's, I think it's like carbon thirty or whatever. So we know what ate bamboo. So mm. like we could tell like the types of plants based upon because they basically photosynthesize differently, so they have different kind of carbon structures. So when they're in your teeth, we could tell the family group of the thing you're eating. Mm-hmm. So it'd just be interesting to see like what you know Alexander the Great was fucking chowing down on, versus <laughs> like, like one of his little like level one foot soldiers was. You know? Yeah. No. Yeah, that would be really cool to get the contrast between that. I'm assuming it would be a lot more every day. Well, you yeah. eat peasants, you eat people. No, 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 not peasants, peasants, <laughs> the birds. Oh, birds. peasants. Yeah. No, he probably ate all kinds of. I just I always mean, imagine kings eating pheasant. It just seems like a good mm, meal for a king. Pheasant. Mm. I I think we, we'd have to see. Um, I know there were studies on these teeth. There, there's um there's probably a lot of stuff in the works on all these mm-hmm. skeletons, uh, but they haven't been published yet. Um, there was the group that ate woolly mammoths, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I've, when is that? Um, I'm going to Google it. I'm Googling it live on the podcast. This is what we call uh, active time research. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an uh, active time research event. Let's see. When did this I like happen? it. What century? Uh, 18th, 19th century, something. Yeah, it looks like the 18th century, if I'm getting this right from the, my five seconds of Googling. So maybe not accurate. But yeah, but apparently they tried to eat like some frozen mammoth steak. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, that, we, was that good? It, well, no, um, I didn't eat it. Um, but I'm just gonna tell you right now, it was not good. You know, this this so. meat's this meat's been spoiled for for twenty thousand years. Pretty baller though. Like, <laughs> that is pretty cool. I agree. Like, what'd, what'd you eat last night? And the guy's like, "Oh man, I just had some McDonald's. I was tired." He's like, "Oh yeah, that's cool. I ate woolly mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big flex." And you're like, "Damn!" I feel like man, a rich what? person would do that. You know, like how rich people eat like golden encrusted stuff or stuff that's like sprinkled with gold in it, and they're like, "Oh, fancy food." Yeah, well, if you eat the rich, then you get the, that gold back. You know, that's a transfer. <laughs> that's a transfer of wealth. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no the the what's cool with that with um studying the teeth like the isotopes um mm-hmm. with like nitrogen stuff you can see where what they're eating on the food chain um you can see if they're eating sort of animals lower down on the food chain versus ones that are like more at the top sure yeah no it's cool there's a lot of stuff you can learn from from archaeology it's, fun it's stuff. A, i i i just find it so amazing these um little like impressions right because like like the human mind you just look at something you're like oh look at that bird i could see eat something or i could see it fly around just like you know in real time and you can imagine what its habitat might be like but it only gets you so far you know but we have learned so much about the world on a smaller level on on a chemical level on a genetic level 
all these things that we can just see so much more than what is like obviously present to us. Yeah. You know, like what we evolved to observe. Like we we couldn't conceive the ability to say like, well, okay, there's these little tiny little tiny atoms that commonly attach to other atoms so much that we that they attach in so many different ways that we know the ways that they attach and we know the ways that they build in certain structures that you know photosynthesize and so we can see that structure see the attachment look at a tooth that's hundreds of thousands of years old and be like oh that guy loved green beans ate green <laughs> beans all the time and it's just it that's why science is so amazing you know yeah. so like like i don't know when people doubt science and say like oh i don't want to take a vaccine because i don't believe these scientists it's just like bro do you know what you're doubting like this awesome <laughs> awesome power <laughs> people like, have spent years researching that and you're just like nah yeah because i mean they'll get on their phone which is basically a rock we tricked into thinking mm. you know <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's it is that. that's, that, that's what your phone is it's 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 a bunch of you know non-organic material <laughs> that we have it you like tricked it. yeah we tricked it into thinking that's and, fucking <laughs> yeah and, and they'll go on that which is just this massive amount of like different cultures and societies throughout time making different advancements that have culminated in this collective human thing we call our phone and they're mm. like shit posts on the internet they'd be like huh vaccine sucks laws and and it's like dude like what are you doing what, what are you doing yeah yeah exactly oh yeah it's just weird it's it's exhausting it is really amazing though to see like i know that i read the paper that was like the beginning of when they started using um carbon dating techniques mm -hmm. and it was how they it, it's so clever like seeing how like the first people that formulated how to use this thought of it where the paper used the dates of like known things so they used like sort of like a pharaoh I don't know, rope of a pharaoh's like tomb or something like that something where they knew the age of it based off of like history records and stuff and like compared it to the the carbon isotope um carbon dating sort of thing and and showed it on a timeline and showed like what the projected age was based off of the atoms for, versus the projected age versus uh, against like history what the historical record was and it was amazing that they did it for several items like one thing from like the middle ages one thing for egyptians um and, and it was really cool and like the the lines just just overlapped each other. It wasn't perfect, but it was it was the start, and you could see that their methods worked. It was really cool. Just so yeah. awesome, man! I just want to know everything that ever happened. Yeah, me you know, too. Oh, just, that's, that's the sad that, thing. That that's my goal. I just it's like the let me in meme, right? Like I just I just want to be in those moments in the past and see them. Yeah. And you know we don't have a camera, so like, but we have all these means of determining something about it, and it's just so amazing to me. Yeah, like. How could you like like I was trying to explain earlier? I don't know if it was too nonsensical or not, but like you just could not conceive of some of these technologies if you like were a 14th century person. Oh yeah, and so they're just I don't know. Every we just we're good at figuring stuff out, and I'm proud of us. Yeah, we're clever. We're a very clever species. We know how to get stuff done efficiently, and like and know how to do things um, like creative solutions to problems. And really one amazing. thing that I love about science is I, I don't think it talks about it enough. It's such a collective human endeavor, you know, like like different like um, cultures around the world have at times, you know, invested a lot into it and been thought leaders in it. And then their society, for whatever reason, you know, slightly changes to a different paradigm. And then another society would pick up, you know, you have times where the Islamic world was like like the leaders in math, math and material sciences. Mm -hmm. You had times when like like Asia was like 
and by specifically Asia, like like China was like they created the first encyclopedias, right? They like like created the process of accurately depicting longs amount of longs amount of in, like information, so it could be taught to future peoples and they could understand in detail um, discoveries and findings and histories. And so like it's just such a collective human effort. So yeah. anytime we discover anything, it's like not that one person discovering it. They're like standing on this giant wave of resources that all different kinds of humans that never met each other and didn't spoke, speak the same language achieved. And it, I don't know. It's just like so rewarding to me to see like humans do this stuff. It's, mm. I, it's kind of a raw, raw thing, I guess. No, no, it's a beautiful part of like the, the human spirit. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing that like our strength is not physically, it's not sort of. It's, it's in our ability to pass down knowledge and information um, to the next generation and change it, adapt it and stuff. Um, yeah, and we've used this power to destroy. The yeah, world. that's the thing. <laughs> we can do good things and we can do a lot of bad things. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. another, there's a newer um, st- uh, anthropological study that was like humans have been apex predators for like a hell long time, longer than we thought. Mm. And it's just like, man, we really took that opposable thumb and that imagination. And the first <laughs> thing we thought of is, I bet I could grip the spear really hard and chuck it really fast at that thing over there. <laughs> and, and that's kind of been our central thought for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> you know, the spear changes, but it's pretty much, I bet I could use my thumb to kill that motherfucker. Like, <laughs> I don't, probably shouldn't have said the F word. I apologize. Oh, that's okay. We can bleep um, it out. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's that's what we do, and that that's kind of sad too. That's mm. the duality of man, right? Yeah. Rain, what is that button on your body armor? A peace symbol, sir. Where'd you get it? I don't remember, sir. What is that you've got written on your helmet? Born to kill, sir. You write "born to kill" on your helmet, and you wear a peace button. What's that supposed to be? Some kind of sick joke? No, sir. What is it supposed to mean? I don't know, sir. You don't know very much, do you? No, sir. You better get your head and your ass wired together, or I will take a giant shit on you. Yes, sir. Now answer my question, or you'll be standing tall before the man. I think I was trying to suggest something about the duality of man, sir. The what? The duality of man, the Jungian thing, sir. Whose side are you on, son? We got here. We're on a podcast because some some monkeys uh, threw some rocks at something. Humanity. We got here. <laughs> we got here. Yeah, have them, we, have it we got here. <laughs> <laughs> and now the part you've all been waiting for, our interview with Bigfoot phenomenon expert Jeff Meldrum. Trey and I had an excellent conversation with Jeff, and he was a real sport to come on our show. The interview, unfortunately, ended up being about four hours long, so I had to drastically trim it down to about one thirty. So a lot of anecdotes arguments and bits of evidence that Jeff made or retorts that Trey and myself made had to be removed. So if you're wondering about any increased context in any of the arguments or points we make, please see the greater video, which will be posted on my Patreon, Google Miles Grab, or my YouTube, again, just Google Miles Grab. All right, enjoy the interview. Um, yeah, we're really happy to have you on, Jeff, because, like, as I said in our emails, um, we've watched you growing up on Monster Quest and Nat Geo and all these other programs, and we definitely appreciate your more um, scientific, more analytical take on this Hasquatch phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and and that's why we're just really thankful to have you on. Okay. Um, My pleasure. Yeah. So we. Just so people know, a little background baseball. We lost a bit of the recording, so I'm going to do this part a little quicker here, just so we can get through this. But um, um, so I just wanted to ask Jeff Meldrum, you know, things we agree on. We both agreed on the age of the Earth. 
Uh, we both agreed on, you know, evolution describes um, speciation and diversification. We both agreed on the, the consensus opinion of the peopling of the Americas, you know, about 30,000 years ago, possibly 100,000 years ago. And then we just started talking about the all the different hominids and hominoid families and how we both agree that um, complexity has has kind of grown in our understanding and we're kind of having to rewrite our understanding over time. So yeah. kind of a summation yeah, of the discussion we had lost there, unfortunately. So I, I guess what I want to ask next, next um, Jeff, is what is your actual hypothesis um, that, that that's like falsifiable of what the Sasquatch phenomenon is? Not, not necessarily the culture phenomenon, but like the animal itself. Like what do you... What do you, um, what's the falsifiable claim of, like, what do you think the animal is most likely to be? Right. Well, uh, and by, by falsifiability, I mean, what, if, if and when a sample lends itself to a thorough DNA analysis, that would be one, one test, one uh, opportunity for at, at falsification or verification, substantiation, mm -hmm. or if, if someone walks in with a jaw, or a tooth, you know, or a semi truck hits one. But as far as the the nature of of what it is, I think uh, I have two sort of working null hypotheses. Okay. And, uh, one one was suggested very early on by uh, researchers such as John Green, who noted that uh, I mean that there was a known species, Gigantopithecus blackie, that was indeed in the right the in the right place at the right time and was the right size. Uh, we had limited understanding of just exactly what it is because uh, we have just jaws and teeth. I mean, that one time early on, because of the thick enamel on its molars, it was thought to be um, a hominid, uh, a yeah. rather relative. Um, and somehow, you know, the hominins went through a giant phase and um, Weidenreich uh, uh, kind of championed that notion for a while. Uh, now we know that that uh, enamel thickness is not just an either or, but it uh, it does seem to be a characteristic. Uh, you know, thick molar enamel does seem to be a characteristic of not only hominins but some of the uh, Asian apes, the Shivapithecines, and mm -hmm. and of which uh, Gigantopithecus was probably a a member of. So. They're definitely a fascinating animal. It and is, it's, yeah. It's the potential, great that we're able to you know, discover them. And we, uh, you know, and, and it's it's also an interesting uh, case study because here's an, an animal, a very large animal that mm -hmm. existed in East Asia for 1.5 million years. And for all that tenure in that uh, habitat, we have two jaws and a few thousand isolated teeth. And yeah. we only have them because porcupines dragged those scraps of skeleton into the uh, caves, the limestone caves where they became uh, the remnants of after their gnawing uh, became fossilized. Were it not for the action of the porcupines, we'd have virtually no record of Gigantopithecus. So this, so, con so, so conceivably, porcupines invented Bigfoot. That's right. That could be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other. So, so so I, I, we both. Oh, sorry, Trey. What do you have to say? I was wondering. Um, so I've heard competing like that. The back in the olden days, they believed Gigantopithecus would have walked um, upright, uh, but I think they've since sort of got an idea that it would have been a quadruped. Um, is that does that still stand or not? Not so so simply. Uh, uh, you know, there most most uh, um, anthropologists, uh, e even back at the time of uh, 
of Weidenreich and Koenigswald and those uh, early paleontologists in, in Asia would probably have, if, if pressed, would have, have said it was more likely that they exhibited um, characteristics like uh, other great apes. And so on the ground, they would have adopted a quadrupedal posture. I mean, it was thought that, that bipedalism was an exclusively hominin characteristic. And, that, mm. and evolution was always considered very conservative. I mean, things um, did not happen very often uh, in a convergent way. That, that view is very different now. We know that yeah. evolution produces similar solutions to common challenges from sometimes from rather distinctive starting points. Yeah, convergent evolution. Is, yeah. And those are fascinating yeah. cases, I think. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Like the so, eye has evolved many different times. Right, example. right. And so now, now though, um, the, the notion that bipedalism may have evolved independently in something like a large terrestrial ape like Gigantopithecus isn't, uh, isn't such a, uh, you know, a her- heretical statement anymore. Sure. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple questions here. So I wanted to kind of gauge like your, um, your confidence intervals, right? Like, so I'll just ask you kind of like a few questions. Like, what do you think the likelihood of a couple things are? Sure. So I'm just going to use a different cryptid just because it's a good example. You know, not that cryptids are the only thing we're interested in or you are interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but say, so like the hypothesis that the Loch Ness monster is bio, a biological creature, like what would you put your confidence interval that that claim was likely to be true? Well, after the results of uh, the recent uh, eDNA analysis that was conducted, the survey conducted under the leadership of Dr. Neil Gemmel from New Zealand, uh, mm-hmm. suggesting that it may be uh, some form of giant eel, uh, I think there's a, a very good possibility that, that an explanation like that may may lie at the root of at least many of the sightings. Uh, mm. um, the way the way I understood that um, paper wasn't so much that he suggested it was an eel. The paper just said there were eels, and then he was asked by journalists if he thought that eels could describe the phenomenon, and he kind of said, I suppose. Um, well, I, I, I guess I, I'm not privy to all of the publications or all of the dialogues, but that was the, that was the gist that, that I took with it. I've, I've actually been in communication with him about the possibility of employing some eDNA approaches to some survey of uh, uh, North American habitat. Yeah, or, I think sure. that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that would be, I would love to see that. But so it, I guess we haven't turned our conversations real precisely to the, to the outcome. I, I didn't see him offer any other explanation than, than, uh, than that. Fair enough. Um, yeah. But let me just ask it this way. So like, like if, if I was asked the question, what is my confidence interval on, you know, some kind of relic, um, reptile being the Loch Ness Monster's answer, I would say it's approaching zero, yeah. way more nearing zero than one. Right. Would you be of this similar um, confidence interval? I, I would. I, I've, I've never okay. attributed it as a, uh, you know, a relic plesiosaur sure. or something yeah. in that it, fashion. I assume that that was your opinion. I'm just trying to kind of like gauge, just so when we use words like probable or likely sure. or possible, we kind of know what we mean, right? Sure, of course. Um, yeah, so like like when you say like it's um there's a certain probability that this animal that we don't know was bipedal, but we but the consensus seems to be it's quadrupedal. What do you think the what's your confidence interval that it was bipedal? Well, I I'm not sure how to how to uh, I'm not exactly sure how how you're applying a, a confidence interval to so so basically like like like. 
it, it's not a hundred percent scientific in nature because I'm asking you just kind of right. like. But if you say it's likely or possible, when you say likely, do you mean like fifty-one percent plus? Do you mean thirty percent? Just so no, I can understand. If, if I yeah, if I use the word likely, then I would say yes. I would be you'd be up in the seventy percent chance that that is the case. First, okay. If I say that it's possible, then I I mean by that it's better than a fifty-fifty chance. So with this example, you know, if a if an ape comes to the ground, there's two options. You either stand on two legs or you walk on fours. And so you could say, well, that that what might suggest if you knew nothing else, you have a 50-50 chance of it being either upright or or quadrupedal. Now some would argue, well, but yeah, but if you look at other existing apes, um, you know, they are capable of facultative quadrupedal uh, bipedalism. Uh, but they'd usually adopt a, a quadrupedal posture. That's hard would to it, apply to. Would it necessarily be a fifty-fifty chance? Isn't there um, presuppositions and like yes. that that there's likelihood because it's not a coin, right? Like, well, just, exactly. There's two yeah, answers. That's what I'm saying. In, in the absence, yeah. in, in that that would be your starting point. So if we're talking mm-hmm. about Gigantopithecus with an even more exaggerated body mass, if if it had that morphology, if it had not evolved decidedly in the direction of a quadruped with a vertically oriented shoulder blade, for example, that lined up in a compressive manner at the shoulder joint with the humerus, then if it rather, if it looked more like a gorilla with the shoulder blade on the back of the, of the thorax, then it's, it's much more likely that to spare that forelimb, those uh, shearing forces, it would adopt a more upright orthograde posture, even bipedalism. Yeah, so I mean, like that—that that sounds like a, a possible explanation. I mean, of course, yeah. One one thing is, um, you know, I'm not an expert on this particular topic. It is a topic of great interest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me like too. I took, yeah, I took classes on it in college, but I don't have a degree in it, right? So you're an expert on that. The, the same with like like the footprints, right? Right. Um, that that's that's an area where like you you have a certain expertise, and I don't mean this in any way dismissive way, but you know a certain amount of jargon that most people just can't really approach. You know, sure. So, so some I've listened to some of your conversations, and one of my concerns is a lot of the conversation gets into you saying that your expert opinion, for example, you know, certain locomotion or certain footprints, so looks like um, what you would expect to see, and so you consider it to be a very high quality of evidence, right. but that can't really be examined by most other people, and we don't have like. Um, a peer-reviewed paper in a large journal of you suggesting it. So it's sure kind of do. like this claim. What well, I mean, like it's like an anthropology or nature or something we don't have, right? Well, like, well, you, you can, if, if you gauge all scientific understanding by science or nature, then you you have a very parochial view of. No, I I understand there's many that, more journals. That's like, like an, uh, an elite uh, uh, club. That's fair. That's very fair. I mean, I'm not saying you're not a good quarterback because you haven't won the Super Bowl, right? That sentence could sound like that. I, I, just, um, I just wanted to say that uh, there is a huge obstacle to publishing this kind of material in what you're calling mainstream journals. But it has. Under- why, why is that? You, because it, it, it is unorthodox. Hmm. Doesn't fit the quote, as you've used the word a number of times, consensus view. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was confronted by a colleague who literally, after refusing to uh, or rejecting a, a solicited paper to the publication of the California Academy of Science, um, her only rationale, her only defense for that rejection was, and I'm quoting her verbatim, 
can't exist, therefore it doesn't exist, and it doesn't matter what evidence he thinks he has. One of the explanations that was offered again by when my thing was uh, my abstract was rejected, it wasn't there was no basis on the merits or the methodology. It was this is a subject that isn't of general interest to the anthropological community. Sure. Well, I mean, like, Go I guess you. that's that's you know, I guess if their opinion is that the likelihood of it is so low, I could see that being reasonable. How, no, however, absolutely not. You're going to you're going to justify uh, the the acceptance or the consideration of, of, of a scientific question based on the general consensus of its likelihood well, of being true or not. I mean, that's well, the problem. That's the problem. So there's a. You're su- you're su- you're suggesting there's a bit of a I don't want to say conspiracy but people in charge that don't um, like the direction of the material or the subject matter of the material. Yeah, I'm not suggesting. I'm stating that. Yeah. I'm stating. Well, you, you did. I mean, <laughs> uh, other other discoveries like we spoke about um, other hominid discoveries that have changed the consensus in some way are getting published. Do you, and the reason well, is because they have perhaps better physical primary evidence. Well, of course. Do you think if of you course. had that... I'm, I'm not putting this on par with that. Okay, that's fair. Mm, I, just, I assume that was your opinion. I just wanted yeah. to make sure. No, yeah, but, but when, I, when I go you know, submit a publication, I mean, these, these footprint casts exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that was where my focus has, has been uh, uh, has centered, and, and because that is my principal expertise. Yeah. Uh, footprints exist, and you know the, the, those few scientists who have uh, come to the conclusion that there's something worthwhile to examine here were usually those who had the wherewithal to evaluate those footprints. Dr. John Napier, for example, in his book, one of the first to publish a book that um, you know a, a scientific book uh, or an academic approach to the topic by a, a primatologist, a bona fide primatologist. And, and his uh, basis for concluding that it was very likely that something existed was on the basis of the footprints. Now, mm. he, he was quite uh, uh, forthcoming in saying he doesn't know exactly what this is. Yeah, naturally. I mean, obviously, this is not conclusive evidence. And, I, and I've not, like I said, I'm not saying that, that any uh, thing is, is on par with walking in with a fossil cranium, for example. Yeah. Right, I, if, you, right. if you had a skull, I think we'd both agree that they would look at it, right? Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. yeah. So, so the opinion is that they don't value um, expert opinion on the footprints to the degree that you think would be reasonable, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's usually yeah. So that, that yeah. I, I can understand that being your opinion. I you know. And um, I can understand how that's uh, that must be frustrating. Definitely. Yeah, if people are of the opinion that their honest expertise and honest um, assessments of it would not be respected um, because of a stigma, that's very unfortunate. Yeah, you know, I I, I, I would not want that to be true about any hypothesis, regardless yeah. of if I like the conclusion or not. And right. this is one I would possibly like the conclusion of, right? Sure. My, my kind of um, what I wanted to say though was like I I really wanted to address what you thought the other explanations and evidence around this phenomenon were more than just the footprint. Sure, absolutely. Um, part, part of that is because, you know, you've spoken about it at length. People can definitely hear your opinion on that, right? Mm. Um, so I kind of just wanted to give you that. Like, we accept that the footprints are interesting evidence. Okay. Um, I think you would agree that they don't get us there, right? They're not a holotype. 
they don't prove it. We can't fully describe it, but they're compelling, interesting bit of evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, mm. so like, like that, that's why I think we can agree like, okay, well, let's try to build from there. We'll just give you that. Sure. So, so like the earliest de descriptions of this creature then like, um, I, I, you know, if you go back to the 1920s, right. Mm -hmm. You have like the ape Canyon incident. Mm -hmm. um, normally this gets counted as a Bigfoot case, but there's a supernatural part of it that was described at the time, which normally don't get described now. And th this is true for many different Bigfoot cases, not necessarily other ones in the 20s, but there's a lot of different supernatural elements that normally when people like you and I, who are methodological naturalists, try to look at this topic, exclude. But do you think that that makes it so that we're kind of biasing the anecdotal evidence that we're accepting into only this methodological method, which means that we're accepting an evidence that we shouldn't? Well, uh, I, I think there is uh, uh, some uh, danger, some uh, potential for that kind of, uh, you know, conscious or unconscious cherry picking. Yes, I'll, I'll give you that. I think, hmm. though, that if we, if we uh, hold our standards, and this is why I've, I have focused primarily on the, the trace and physical evidence, the hair, the yeah. scat, the footprints, is because uh, such claims of supernatural or paranormal um, often are purely anecdotal. They're, they're very anomalous and singular personal experiences that aren't readily repeatable or repeated. Yeah, definitely. It seems mm. if you make your bins generalized and broad enough, that it seems to be repetition by other people experiencing them. But, you know, it's like <clears throat> those times that I have looked into and pursued such claims from individuals. Uh, they don't bear up under any kind of scrutiny. I mean, for example, hmm. there's often claims of uh, orbs, balls of light, a, a yeah. Bigfoot. And I had one person who was just very adamant, you know, uh, correspondence via email. And and I, I asked this person, do you have any photographic documentation of your experience? Because I can't just accept them based on your description. And, oh, sure. And I said, well, send me your best example. And I always have to stress that because... Yeah. Uh, very frequently, people will send me something, and if I'm critical of it, uh, then they say, "Oh, well, I've got better pictures." Yeah. Mm. Well, why would I see those, right? <laughs> like, like I definitely ex um, give you a lot of uh, respect for, like, example, we watched the episode two of Monster Quest, the Bigfoot attack episode, right? Right. Where it's like Bigfoot attacks this cabin, yeah. and then yeah. they they have. You know, you guys go searching the, for a, a bear who ate some blueberries, basically, right? Right. Or the and, um, the the nail board with the, the, nail the tissue or blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And and you know, obviously, there's. I I don't know if you would agree with this, but there's there's pressure view to be on the show to say things are Bigfoot or maybe Bigfoot. You know, if there's a twenty percent chance somebody might say it's a forty percent chance because they're on TV. But you said that. It was a bear because that was your expert opinion. Sure, you know, and yeah. and you didn't give a you didn't say, well, it's probably a bear, but it could be Bigfoot. You said it's a bear, yeah. you know, and I I thought that was you know worthy of respect and, and kind of a, yeah. a nod to that. I thought that oh, was well, thank you. Well, yeah, no, I always adhered to that, and they the the understanding is made quite clear at the beginning of any of those documentaries, and and uh, you know, and, and that the expectation is that I'm not edited out of context or or juxtaposed mm. with, with uh, other statements that might imply that, uh, because you do, you get broadsided. The, the worst yeah. case recently was that one of the, uh, oh, shucks, the, the pass up in Russia. 
with. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I heard about this. Yeah. Um, and and that that uh, for that documentary, I had an in lab interview that was your basic run of the mill generic Sasquatch interview. This is the same kinds of questions that I'm often uh, confronted with. And uh, then after the thing was done and the cameras were being packed away, the producer pulls out his iPhone. He says, oh, and by the way, you know, as we were doing research, we came upon this really intriguing story, uh, Dyatlov, Dyatlov Pass. That was it, wasn't it? And Oh, yeah. And uh, he showed me these photos, including this. It, I mean, it always, whenever I see it, it looks like the Tin Man because it has such straight edges of a coat and pants and hat and so forth as it's stepping out of the of the forest, the tree line. And could this be a Bigfoot? I said, well, I you know really don't think it is. But but then when the documentary came out, that was the centerpiece of the whole story. Oh, there. they edited you that and just that yeah, totally yeah. misleading. And I want to point out we will not do that to you. <laughs> no, I, I'm not saying. But, yeah. I, but that, oh. that's always the that's always the kind of the, the two edged sword aspect of of participating in these kind of documentaries. People often ask. Mm. I, I would like to ask a, a question. Um, and this might change gears a little bit, uh, but um, so I'm I have a lot of so I'm an archaeology guy. Um, I know a lot of colleagues that work in sort of cultural resource management, um, sort mm-hmm. of the people you call when you're building a highway or right. uh, buildings. And I just know that there's so many um, human remains and, and well preserved human remains scattered all throughout uh, the United States of, right. of, or, or uh, in Canada. And, all around where they're just um, there's just the sheer amount of them is amazing. You have like Kennewick man and Anzic one and all kinds of uh, fossil and, and more recent remains. Um, for me, it's just kind of hard to jump on to uh, big believe uh, to accept the belief of the, I guess the possibility of belief in Bigfoot um, with the sheer lack of archaeological or uh, paleontological evidence. Uh, we, right. The fact we haven't found any, sort of um, non-human ape remains in the in the new world um is yeah. with the given the fact that um gigantopithecus and other examples fossilization is rare right um preservation is rare i feel like even so there would be um exceptions that would fall in there would uh i don't know i wouldn't i just want to see why it is so hard to find a bigfoot yeah. skeleton or remains over such a long period of time then to address your question head on with an albeit uh, apologist uh, explanation, it's one that uh, that turns to the circumstances. Well, uh, why would there be so few bones? I mean, should we expect to find more bones? And one uh, yeah. common denominators is the potential number. You talk about yeah. the the high number of human remains. Well, if you compare the human population on this continent prior to European uh, arrival, you know, there were millions of people. Uh, I don't think there were ever more than uh, several thousand Sasquatch. That's just the nature. It, it, well, I shouldn't say, see, I'm making an assertive statement. At a, at a certain time or um, of over nature. a long period of time? Oh, sorry. Oh, yes, over a long period of time. But, but even there, um, okay. we're talking about a large-bodied hominoid it probably has a life expectancy of, uh, you know, pushing 50 years if we bracket with the life expectancy of humans and great apes and, and recognize a positive correlation of longevity with body mass. Um, we, uh, you know, so there's a, there's a slow turnover of individuals. 
I mean, it's like, uh, I, I won't go into the whole argument here, but uh, based on a number of different lines of evidence and, uh, and extrapolations, um, I would estimate, say here in, in my state of Idaho, or we could mm -hmm. talk about, uh, we could talk about uh, Washington, uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the potential habitat, the likely habitat is actually fairly restricted, even for Washington. We're talking about the Olympic Peninsula and the, and the commencement of the coastal range, the Cascades a little bit across the northern uh, border with Canada. And that's about it. The rest of it. Yeah, the, the, the rainforests area. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. so, and so, so in all of, I would estimate that in all of Washington, at most, there's probably, oh, 300 to 400 Sasquatch uh, mm -hmm. to, to create a straw man based on those various variables that I kind of alluded to. But, but mm -hmm. in comparison, there are about 25,000 black bear in Washington state. There's 35,000 in Idaho. There's a So let, let me ask let me ask this question. It's see one thing it seems to me is the hypothesis is that basically there's rel, there's a relic great ape, right? Like most yeah. likely a great ape, a fifth great ape or, yeah. or maybe or, it's or a, a very homoid. or a very early hominin like uh, Paranthropus say. Yeah, so so mm. there's a hypothesis there's a relic version of this and sometime during the Pleistocene they populated North America. Right. Okay. Like that does doesn't seem incredible on itself, right? Like that's a, nope. a decent a decent thing. We can both believe this happened. Um, but it, when we keep adding more and more complexities to this, like, well, maybe they were bipedal, even though we don't know that. Um, maybe they were a lower population because I mean, there's twenty six thousand grizzly bears in Canada right now. So we think that there's much less amount of grizzly bears, like when there was less people, and then they survived um, the different, you know comings and going of the ice age of the Pleistocene. They, they survived even though the Clovis and other people killed so much of the megafauna and the megafauna rates are just dropping. They survived that. And then, so like the fact that they would have came, they would have done this, they would have done that. And then they, they're still alive. As you keep adding more and more complex things to their nature, it seems to me you make the hypothesis less and less likely because yeah. you need more things to be true. I, I, just I, a Bayesian reasoning would say that like, everything you add makes it less likely. It doesn't mean not true, right. but less likely. Right. I'll, I'll let you respond in a second, um, Jeff, but I, it makes me feel like, um, have you ever heard the Carl Sagan bit where he talks about the dragon in the garage? Not, um, I'm not familiar with. It's this thing whenever there's sort of a reported unknown or mysterious phenomenon that um, there's always a sort of way for the dragon to escape scientific scrutiny. There's always an explanation or dodge for why there's not uh, sufficient evidence for it um, yet. And it, 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 Carl Sagan used the point that um, the answer would remain the same even if the dragon didn't exist. If it's a dragon that's able to avoid all those detection methods, then it might as well be a dragon that doesn't exist. And for some of the limited evidence that we do, maybe like dragon-sized footprints and flower reported, um, the explanation there there are alternate explanations for that. There could be fake footprints, or there could be other explanations. In his words, such evidence, no matter how important to dragon advocates, is far from compelling. Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of scale of evidence. I think that um, there's other explanations for this, and for Bigfoot, there's other explanations for the footprints. I feel like, um, but. Yeah, for D you need DNA and you need some sort of extraordinary evidence for, um, I think, to convince a skeptic. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It just seems um, like a moving target. It, you know, like, it, it, again, it's not that it couldn't be. I, I, 
do you think it's more likely? Let me just ask you this question: Do you think it's more likely um, Bigfoot did exist and was in North America at some time and now is extinct, or do you think it's more likely that he did exist and continues to exist? Well, when I when I examine footprints that are extremely compellingly uh, incredible, uh, mm. just you know, a, a year ago, a month ago, then it's hard to uh, attribute those to a creature that might have existed but is more likely extinct than than not well let, let let's leave out the footprints i know i, I know you don't want to leave out the footprints i'm not trying to straw man you by leaving them out um no, but that, i mean that that's why would you want to uh well the re the reason why is because i can't address their authenticity with you and so we can't come to a consensus on them i like i i believe it's they're more likely or not not true. You believe they are, and you know more about the topic than me. So we can't well, really have a it's, good discussion is, about it. This is like a conversation I had on a on a on a, uh, an interview, and, and a call mm -hmm. uh, called in, and he goes, "You know, you're familiar with the work of Elizabeth Loftus." And I said, "Yes." He said, "Well, then you know that you cannot accept any eyewitness testimony. It's unreliable." You know, and he just went on and on, and I go, "Well, I don't think that's exactly what she." had in mind when she was saying that, you know, an eyewitness, say a little old lady got mugged in the alley and someone snatched her purse and she's in the police station with a lineup of five uh, shady looking characters and she's having trouble, uh, you know, reliably remembering which of them might be the one who snatched her purse versus a well-informed, experienced outdoors person or wildlife biologist and he sees uh, something in the woods and his lineup consists of a, a deer, an elk, a wolf, a Bigfoot, and a backpacker. I mean, it's mm. the oranges. Okay. And so, oh, wait, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. So we bantied back and forth, you know, sparring here. And he got frustrated and said, if there was mm. an 800-pound gorilla out there in the woods, people would be seeing it. Well, that's where we started, wasn't it? But people are seeing it. There is evidence, but you're disallowing it. I mean, for me, the overwhelming uh, uh, body of data is the footprint evidence. But now you're disallowing it because... Well, I, I don't mean to disallow it. Well, I know, but when you say that yeah. around and say there's no evidence, that I'm just making, that I have, I'm just describing the dragon that's floating in the garage. Well, no. I, was, I meant that I on the sense that... The flower and have the footprints... In the flower, so I'm one up on Carl Sagan there. <laughs> I don't. Know. I, I guess. I guess what I meant by that was the DNA and skeletal evidence. I feel like that's the money maker. That's the of money shot. That's why yeah. I'm telling you, I'm not trying yeah. to convince you that Bigfoot exists. Yeah, just, uh, uh, yeah, just, we we agree with that. I'm, um, I'm just advocating the uh, the the legitimacy of the of the search, the endeavor for it. And you know, it's something. And that, and that was a, that was a thought experiment. That was not to just demean you or anything. That no, was no, I no, just that was the comparison. I understand. I, I understand the. If you, if you let me real quick here, Jeff, just because it's about what you just mentioned. So in, in your example, you said you know like an expert hiker, somebody who would have more than average knowledge of the things in the woods, right? Picking out a lineup. Right. And so therefore they pick out Bigfoot. You think that's more compelling evidence, right? Um, do you think that's the same thing then for people who are like um, pilots who have expertise at picking out things in the sky who see UFO evidence? Would you say that that's the same order of magnitude of likeliness? Like the same confidence interval? I, I think that's, I think that's a comparable uh, comparison to make. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, so that's evidence for UFOs then of the same order, not doesn't get you any more closer. I don't know the total result, but it's the same order as a hiker 
a skilled hiker picking out Bigfoot. Then. Well, sure. No, yeah. I'm okay. not saying. I, 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 this is why I'm I'm so often mischaracterized as as a you know a pardon the analogy, but as a Bible thumping you know a, a tent revivalist. That's yeah. what I'm doing at all. I get a little animated sometimes when. No, that's that's no problem. At the, the reason why I wanted to ask the reason why I wanted to ask you the question is I wanted to see if you'd agree because I didn't want to put words in your mouth. Oh so yeah, I no, I would, to, I would make yeah. that that comparison and okay. Uh, but you know, my point is that yes, uh, the acknowledgement of a novel species of relic hominoid will rise or fall on the ultimate evidence in the form of a type specimen or perhaps, mm-hmm. although there's no precedent for this yet a voucher DNA specimen. Those Mm. will certainly be the conclusive um, uh, turning point, the pieces of evidence. But short of that... I think my my problem with footprints and photographs and stuff is they're great, and they look really good, but in my mind, they can be misidentifications or or have a, a, a fraudulent background or whatever. I don't mean to say this. I know that there's been... Thousands and thousands of Bigfoot footprints found. Um, and the thing is, there can't all be true. There's, There's got to be hoaxes in there. Of course, there's got to be uh, misidentifications and stuff. Sure. Um, just, just like half know, of the it's bio, just hard. Just like half of the published biomedical literature will be proven false within 20 years, mm. as has been demonstrated by numerous studies. So... Sure, but those are more on the margins, though, the right? Pro- they're, trying, they're trying to find effects that are over, you know like a small in value, right? So like the, you're right. A lot of medical research will be found to be ineffectual or I'm inaccurate. Just saying, I'm just saying that, that this is how science progresses by iteration and, and it's an always an all or none. And yes, there will be some chaff that has to be winnowed out. I mean, I do that. Right. Don't see that side of what I do on a daily basis. Yeah, and that's not fair to with, you, right? Because you, like I said, you do, you, you're a, te- by all accounts, you're a good teacher on the topics that you're an expert on, and you do do work of good merit in these fields. So, like, well, so and I, you know, to- and I, and I try to work with uh, witnesses and try to educate them as we go along, and and I winnow through a lot of the, um, a lot of the misidentifications, and, and yeah, and mm-hmm. I, and I've seen you do that to your credit. I will fully yeah. admit that you've taken evidence that I would think is you know, very low quality. And you would say it's very low quality, yeah. you know? So like, yeah. like, so we wouldn't be talking to you if we didn't think that about you. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Right. I agree. Um, so I guess my hypothesis um, is that this follows what we'd expect from a mythological creature, a cultural phenomenon, right? Because the earliest stories we have of this creature happen and it doesn't describe the same creature. So we have, a 1920 story of a supernatural event of apes attacking people. Oh, and then we have... A, I'm sorry, sorry. But, but, but before you continue, what, what, I'm not aware of, of the supernatural events that were associated with the other... Than okay, so... The encounter, so, the shooting, the rock... So, so yeah, so basically, basically there was talks about seances um, triggering or causing or being related to these creatures that were written in the um, papers describing it at the time. So it was... There was a supernatural element. I'm not saying it was necessarily a supernatural entity. Maybe it was or not in their minds. But, you know, there, there was a supernatural element to the, the story, right? And that doesn't mean that they thought that and it wasn't Bigfoot. It, it could have been Bigfoot if it, there's a Bigfoot, right? But, like, it's just part of the popular consciousness of the character. And then we have, of course, um, the stories of 
the first time the word Sasquatch is used, it appears to be in the record referring to a large Native American with long hair, and they were like a wild man character, right? Like, and and so then we have in 1957, right? We have the really famous um, description by Roe, which I think kind of shows that this is where the meme is created. And if you just um, give me a second to read this, um, it says, this is the quote by Roe, and and Roe was not a person who we know much about. He apparently left town and wasn't analyzed. We don't even have a photo of the person. So like, but this is the person who creates basically the trope in, in my hypothesis. He says, my impression of was of a young man, about six foot tall, almost three feet wide, and probably weighing somewhere near 300 pounds. It was covered from head to foot with dark brown silver tipped hair. But as it came closer, I saw by its breasts that it was female. Its arms are much thicker than a man's arms and longer reaching almost to its knees. If feet were broader, more proportional than a man's, about five inches wide at the front, tapering much at the heels. When it walked in place of the heels, one foot down, and I could see the gray-brown skin or hide in the soles of its feet. Then the head was higher from the back at the front. The nose is more broad and flat. The lips and chins protruded farther than its nose. But the hair then covered it, leaving bare only parts of its face around the mouth, nose, and ears, made it resemble an animal as much as a man. None of the hair, even on the back of its head, was longer than an inch, and its neck was also inhuman, thicker, shorter than any man I've ever seen. Now, see, in my mind, th this creates the meme of Bigfoot, which then when we later get to the Patterson-Gimlet film, this person who we know was trying to find Bigfoot, tried to sell the idea of Bigfoot to a studio, then he goes out and basically, and also this person who we know for a fact um, had a storyboard of the event, which she later filmed. Similar, similar in nature. I'm not going to say it's the exact same. And he has plagiarized art in this book that is very similar and based on this mimetic version of this creature. Then he films that creature doing almost exactly what the meme says. And then sightings start increasing. The concept increases. You start seeing people see it in the eastern part of the United States, which I think would be much more likely and not within um, scope of the biological hypothesis. So I think the mythological hypothesis um, has a basis and has more explanatory power than the biological hypothesis. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting scenario. Yeah. Well, well, okay. So I can, I can show this, this um, phenomenon having other explanatory power when you look at the chupacabra, right? Because a woman watched a film, she saw a description of a creature. See, she claims that she saw a creature, which exactly was the creature from the film. And then she told the newspaper about it. And then for the next decade or two, chupacabra sightings start popping up, up and down, you know, South America. We see when King Kong was released, there was a plesiosaur, I mean, not an actual plesiosaur, but like a pop culture version of plesiosaur in the film. And then all of a sudden, you have the Loch Ness Monster becoming very popular in Scotland. You can see this, this mimetic version of relict or lost creatures becoming cryptids and becoming popular, and then sightings increasing, and then people saying they find physical evidence. But, you know, th this tracks with a psychological phenomenon. So I think that that has explanatory power. Um, I, I guess I wonder what, what, what you'd say that. Obviously, you believe the footprints kind of trump that because it doesn't explain the footprints. Because right. um, well, you think the footprints have novel indicators that prove they're biological. I'm suspicious of that, but, but we could talk about it if either were true. I, sure. You know, so. sure. 
Well, you know, I I would not uh, you know discount uh, aspects of, of what you have the phenomenon you have, have described because there and and you can repeat this for uh, other absolutely accepted biological species. I mean, if you look at the history of the discovery and and the understanding of the gorilla, for example, there are remarkable parallels to some of the phenomenon that you're talking about, which uh, it only uh, emphasizes to me that there are uh, parallel processes, parallel uh, paths of, of, uh, of human experience. This is an interjection made after the podcast. Jeff is correct here. It wasn't until the late 1800s, early 1900s that Western scientists were able to identify, describe, and catalog gorillas scientifically. However, people who were native to that region had seen and had physical evidence of the creatures beforehand. So while it is true for Western scientists that gorillas were not known to be there for certain, it was known to the people there. So slightly different circumstance because there is a group of people who did have good reason to believe they were true. The formation of memes, the, the influence of, of uh, uh, social media and so forth, uh, legends, urban legends, and, and traditions, and so on, and the interpretation thereof um, have um, uh, uh, certainly influenced the way we perceive experiences, whether from a lay perspective or from a scientific. So, I mean, what you've described, I think, is uh, is is quite legitimate in many aspects, but I don't think it's the sole explanation. Yeah, I believe that you think that it lacks the explanatory power to describe the footprints, right? Well, not only the footprints, but other other aspects, hair and so forth. That well, so hair, what hair? We have we. Who who says it's Bigfoot hair? How do we know it's Bigfoot hair? How would I know it's Bigfoot hair? Let me uh, phrase it in 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 a slightly different way. Hair, which defies attribution to any known form of wildlife. And granted, the typical uh, standard for identification of hair is to make a positive comparison to a known sample from a known species. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we don't have a known Sasquatch sample, the, the, you know, the early uh, uh, reports uh, resulting from requests for analysis of uh, suspicious hair would invariably come back as indeterminate. Um, I know that like there's been a lot of uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, and uh, Yeti hair tested um, in in published uh, papers o- over the the years that have shown that almost all of them um, come back to be human or or bear or deer. I know there was one that was odd where it was a, a extinct polar bear or something like that. It was closest to an extinct species cool. of bear. <laughs> that was very cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't no, know. I, I guess absolutely wrong. It was. It may- it may have sounded cool, but it was, but here here's another example where there was a second a second uh, a, a, a sort of review of that or a secondary yeah. study that showed that it was it was, it was a little off. Um, it was way. I don't off. know. I guess what, what, it was way. Off. The polar bears have nothing to do with the Himalayas or the Tibetan plateau. They they evolved in right. the Arctic period. The comparison that the the basis for that. Wait, 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 wait. How do you know? Because I could tell you that the apes have nothing to do with evolving in North America, period. No, I, I'm saying there's no, there's absolutely no evidence. I mean, all the evidence of, of, uh, of polar bear 
um, genetic uh, evolution comes from the Arctic. The I agree with you, but I also agree that all I think the, the paper is- said that it was it, it might have suggested that there was. Um, I'll have to look back. I know that it suggested it was, that it, it might. Brian, be- it was Brian Sykes's paper, and and the the, the error that he made is he he took a, a gene sequence from a jaw four thousand year old jaw north from northern Norway, and mm-hmm. uh, it was which was a hybrid polar bear Asian brown bear. Uh, right, right. That's right. European that's brown right. bear. And a because pizzly, they call he, them. because he had uh, he found similarities to that jaw. The similar the only similarities were between the brown bear DNA it had nothing to do with the polar bear whatsoever. And another review it, it suggested, but the the uh, attribution to a bear was correct. Would you say? That? Oh, that's yeah. It was absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was that's right. That's right. Sorry. There's the there's because they pulled the hair out of a bear pelt. I mean, it, there's there's a certain degree that, of error in the, that, the that genetics testing, but that ridiculous oh, taxidermied uh, bear in uh, in uh, uh, Messner's uh, castle was a bear, and so yeah. well, what's the marquee hair then? Right, like we get we get okay. one hair, we're going to put a bunch of money into it. It's the Bigfoot hair. What's I'm just saying hair? that yeah, like we've we've had tons and tons of studies, but none so far have shown that the genetic evidence is well, supportive of. Uh, well, first of all, you're, you're exaggerating. There haven't been tons and tons of studies, and the only ones that got published were ones where the result was attributable to something else. Because, so, and that's the all the ones where that they don't fit the the sort certain narrative. Um, are not published. They're not allowed in. They're they're either not well. What what uh, the 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 ones that are most likely Sasquatch hair on my yeah. on my estimation based on the distinctive morphology and consistent morphology across independently collected samples, which are mm-hmm. primate by all counts. But and then when uh, and one of the distinguishing characteristics has been. The lack of a singular yeah. medulla, which means it's been very challenging to get DNA from a hair shaft without an active mm-hmm. growing follicle or attached skin tag. Well, I guess my mm. question is so, like, if, if I want to accept the hair evidence as highly as you, right? If, if I if I wanted to come to that position, I I would want to see the best the best one, the best hair, the best result. Now we don't have a study, but there's some result that makes you think that. What what is the specific hair? That I would want to look at. No, we 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 have a couple of dozen of samples that repeatedly illustrate a suite of characteristics that mm. renders them indeterminate. The close, yeah, and indeterminate. But but consistently, I mean, the characteristics are consistent. Not the indeterminacy is is consistent. They all look exactly the same under the microscope, with just different phases of of color depending on the proportion of eumelanin and phaeomelanin um, uh, pigment. Okay, so we've got these that, that are collected independently uh, by different investigators, different places where Sasquatch activity has been reported, and you put them under the microscope and they look virtually indistinguishable from one another. They're mm. all coming from something that's the same, and that something can't be attributed as any commonly form, uh, known form of wildlife in, in, uh, in North America. And how do we determine it's not the one known ape in North America? Human? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So some, some, I, for yeah. some reason, the DNA is damaged. It you would, can't get human DNA uh, from them. Your human or, or DNA is not present. Now, I'm going yeah. to then continue that the next, that, that on hmm. those rare occasions when DNA has been 
extracted or, or obtained from such a hair sample, um, it uh, invariably comes back as human. And yeah. it's and it's taken as either one of two possibility, uh, possible uh, explanations. One, it's either contaminated through the handling of the specimen by the investigator, or two, it's simply a misidentified human hair. But there's yeah. a possibility that doesn't get uh, identified. And that is that it that if we're talking about a species that is potentially close, more closely related to us than, say, even a chimpanzee, we may be talking about a difference of less than one percent of the DNA sequence. So, so basically, in this hypothesis, you would expect uh, um, Australopithecus gigantopithecus hairs to be misidentified some percent of the time for human hairs. Okay, okay. so w- is that true? Would would that be true for orangutans? Can what's the what is our ability to distinguish orangutan hair from human hair or bonobo hair from human hair? Well, the, most studies of those species involve uh, extensive DNA testing. They don't mm-hmm. just, as has been the case with most of these quote Bigfoot samples, they don't simply look at one new, one mitochondrial gene or a portion, a few thousand base pairs of one mitochondrial gene. They're right. uh, not, we have the entire genomes for those species and to identify the two to 6% difference between them. It seems mm. to me, you know, the more likely explanation is that these are anomalous or damaged hairs and we don't know what they are more than that. We do know what they are and what they are is this thing that has this really complex hypothesis. This, uh, this uh, study that was published by Brian Sykes, because yeah. it, it harps on this this common theme, which you started this conversation about hair uh, out with, and that was so. So you know, I, I had this conversation with him, and I offered to screen these hairs, knowing that he would get inundated with. You know, I said, if you open the barn door, the entire mm. barn yard's going to come in. And mm. so I said, let me. We 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 suspect we're dealing with a primate, so let me help you screen these samples. So that you can focus your attention on those that the most may, interesting ones may have the yeah. greatest possibilities. Yeah. If you can only do ten or twenty or so because of your limited resources, don't yeah, and, on everything. And else. I know that he respects your opinion. I've heard him speak on you before, and so he appreciates well, you doing that. Unfortunately, so. in, in this instance, he said, "No, no, no, no." He said, "We can't impose a position." Yeah. So yeah. he barn door open, and in his publication, the entire barnyard is listed there, except. The problem was that the, amongst the many samples that he cited, acknowledged, were n- a number of samples, included some of those gold standard matching samples that I had uh, yeah. that were sent to him. Are any of these samples coming from the East Coast that you consider uh, the gold standard samples? There, there have uh, been, well, uh, the, uh, off the top of my head, I know a couple from East Texas. Well, see, see that, that would begin to concern me because now it's becoming less likely that Sasquatch is in Texas, right? But we're still getting this anomalous evidence that they're in Texas. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that that region of East Texas, the Four Corners, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana. But, in, mm. but yeah, but, see, that's, but that's, again, that's uh, asserting a, a supposition. I mean, here, let's just submit it for DNA analysis. But the problem was, he didn't report any of those samples, which I suspect, and, and I should, you know, I hate to talk uh, 
I'm not. Well, you, you, we, we can edit that out if you don't. No, want no, to no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's okay. no, I'm not. I, I just yeah. mean I. I don't like to speak negatively about someone who isn't no longer alive to. to Under, understandable. To, right. But I suspect that he did not include within that paper samples that didn't yield DNA. Because mm. and that's been our experience with numerous samples in the past. It has come back as we weren't able to get any DNA from this hair shaft. Now, mm. here's the here's the final point I want to make. A study, mm. a published study which enumerates 20, say, 20 plus samples, all yeah. of which are attributed to common forms of wildlife, is mm. a very different reported result than if he had 20 samples. And 15 went to commonly uh, reported forms of wildlife. But, gee, there were these five that I just couldn't get any DNA from. And when we put the microscope, all five of those had the exact same physical characteristics. Now, what does that mean? That would have been a very interesting result. Well, thing, I don't know what it means. It, the it, fact that just, he did would, not account for all the samples that he received leaves his conclusion in serious question. I would, I would feel like um, he would... I guess he or um, some researchers would like to publish results like that, that question the norm. Um, well, sure. I don't know. It, it, I, it, I don't like the idea that there's like a, a big conspiracy of, of people um, in power, keep high, not hiding, but um, preventing certain inquiries um, from going forward, I guess. Well, then, then how do you account for the lack of, uh, of acknowledgement of the receipt? I mean, he acknowledged the receipt of those samples, not in mm. the paper, but to the individuals who submitted them and yet didn't show up in the study. My yeah. point is that uh, uh, the, the results as published are highly suspect because of that. Fact. Okay. I, I, I guess it, it seems to me that you're arguing that there's a thing we don't know what it is, right? Of course, yeah, of course you yeah. don't. My, but my point is, yeah, so but it is. yeah, only, and that's fine. I don't, I don't, I don't expect I, you to. I've only presented <laughs> null hypotheses. I was very careful to say here, here are two yeah. null hypotheses that, mm-hmm. that are are potentially worth considering. It's- I'm just trying to explain the way the way that I'm trying to think about your argument, right? So it seems to me like you're saying, you know, there there's a, there's this creature from Asia that came over here two hundred thousand years ish ago, right? Well, that's a hypothesis and, too. We, you know, that's that's the most reasonable one, but that's a hypothesis. Mm. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's just one of them, right? It's it's a version of events is that they came over here, most likely live in the Pacific Northwest, and we can't find them for sure yet, right? We both agree with that. And then and then we think that they most likely live on the West Coast because it's most habitat, calorie rich, probably works better for their body type because like it gets hot in certain states, right? They they're large furry creatures. Like grizzly bears don't like to be in Texas, for example. Sure. Um, I mean, they can't. They can be, but. Like yeah. a, you, you don't find a grizzly bear in Texas for a reason. Yeah. Um, but And then we, we're trying to find evidence for them. And then we find hairs that we don't know what they are. And then we, not all of them are in Texas. I'm not saying that. But some of them are in Texas. And they, they are also like hairs and places in the Northwest that we don't know what they are. And we say, well, we're going to group this category of hairs. We don't know what they are. We're going to assume, assume that they're evidence for that principle. But to me, I don't think you can say that's evidence for or against. It's just not something we know yet. It might be worth more inquiry, and you might be right that people are not putting enough um, resources into it, but it seems to me that doesn't help you get anywhere closer to it being anything. It's just an interesting discovery. I'd have to disagree. Mm -hmm. The presence, I think I was saying, the presence of, uh, of, of hair that defies attribution. I mean, you have a physical 
It's just like my one of my past professors confronted me and said, well, after all, Jeff, these are just stories. And I said, well, stories that apparently shed hair, void scat, uh, leaf footprints, vocalize, uh, are witnessed by credible witnesses, you know, are, are in, entrenched in, in the, the culture of Native American indigenous populations. Okay. I said, it's a little more than just stories, as he would has any um, leeway been made with the scat um, as far as achieving uh, DNA from them? Well, you know, uh, for example, there was one that uh, was collected uh, literally proverbially between two footprints, <laughs> two very clear footprints. And uh, unfortunately, it was not uh, collected in a timely fashion, but we went ahead uh, and did uh, have it tested. And the only DNA that was extracted was dog. Now, the the property owners did have a dog, and he did acknowledge that his dog had taken quite an interest and almost certainly peed on it. <laughs> oh, oh crap! But when that you sucks. looked at the content, and so so you know the the, uh, the on the surface you'd think, oh well, it was just the dog, the dog poop. Right. But the content was one hundred percent well masticated sedges. Dogs don't mm. eat sedges, even when they eat grass mm. for an upset stomach their scat is not going to consist of 100 percent uh sedge and so um it was the only other thing it could have been was a bear but this bear then yeah so what's wrong with the bear hypothesis because there were 16 inch the best examples of 16 inch footprints showing all the sasquatch characteristics perfectly that i've ever seen mm. that were uh a, Suppose it's Sasquatch characteristics, right? Because we don't have a Sasquatch. Well, right. We don't okay, know. Right. Sas characteristics consistent with uh, samples attributed to Sasquatch. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't mean to say that to be particular, but I mean, like, we don't have, like, like I, I don't think, I, I was thinking about this, and I thought this was somewhat of an unfair question to you, so I wasn't going to ask it, but I, I am going to ask it because I actually am curious. This is literally just me being curious. Mm. Um. How would you create like a falsifiable study to determine your ability to tell what would likely be a, a real Sasquatch footprint from one that was faked or one that would show um, characteristics that you could possibly misconstrue? Like how, how would we double blind that where we could be like, okay, these are the footprints, you know, how are we going to know our ability? Now, again, this is not super a fair question. It's a little hard. Well, yeah, so, you're right. And, and, but I was thinking about it. I just wanted to hear what you yeah, had to say. To double blind would be would be certainly a challenge. But uh, yeah. and whether something could be set up. I mean, I was put in situations like that. I don't know if you saw Les Stroud's uh, Survivor Man Bigfoot episode where he came to my lab and he mm -hmm. laid out on the bench in front of me uh, four casts. Two uh, were very large, and he said one was from uh, taken in Northern California, the other in Ontario. And then two smaller, which he took in also in Northern California when he was out in, uh, on one of his um, excursions, um, solo excursions uh, in, into the field, into the bush. Um, it was interesting because the ones that, he, well, as I looked at the, the two, the one from Ontario and the one from Northern California that were about 16 inches in length, they were remarkably similar. And I said, these look very similar. I mean, yeah. similar beyond uh, just uh, a superficial similarity. There's, you know, some of the aspects of the toe shape are remarkably similar. And I said, in the end, they look familiar to me. And I reached over. Mm -hmm. I just happened to have a, a cast that was uh, uh, had just been poured for the to demonstrate that procedure on camera. It was a 
of the uh, Hereford track from uh, Grace Harbor County, not far from you there, up on the uh, on the Olympic the base of the Olympic Olympic Peninsula. And I reached mm-hmm. over and I brought that cast over and laid it down. I said, you know, these toes are look remarkably similar. And I was trying to be polite. You know, I'm here. I'm on his. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And I said, you know, I I said there's some. Some things I'm uncomfortable with here. I would have to to look at these, uh, consider them a bit longer. Uh, yeah. And I said, you know, just in case someone may have uh, been doing some copycat work here. And he, this little grin broke across his face, and he goes, "You're good." He said, "I'm a professional <laughs> makeup artist, a costume fabricator in Hollywood, a friend of mine. I gave him a copy of the Hereford cast, and he used that as the model to make fake yeah. feet that I." Huh. these footprints with so, so basically to, to me that tells me like you're definitely able to pick out a footprint that's mimicked from another specific footprint meaning that you know a specific footprint very well that, right you, that, you well, are that's one very versed and, and 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 note i've got a good eye for detail and, and, pick and, and i don't i don't doubt that for a minute my friend i i don't um but i mean that that's I know that you're not saying this, but that's not an experiment that shows no. that you can pick well, out fake ones. It's it not. just shows that you you really know your stuff about the ones you have, right? Well, ones Which that, I would yeah, expect you to. The ones I have, but also you know other other aspects. Because then the, here's the the other side of the coin. The ones he these other two, he was very very um, uh, uh, convinced were <clears throat> the real deal. Yeah, because he, mm-hmm. he was quite certain he'd experienced something come up and approach his tent and retreat. And it left a line of footprints. Well, these prints were only about 10 and a half, 11 inches long and had all the hallmarks of a human foot. They had a well-developed arch, a well-developed ball, little toe and, and lateral toes were pushed in. It was someone had doffed their shoes and braved this uh, frosty uh, uh, skiff of snow and and uh, had walked across there. Uh, under whatever circumstances he wanted to describe, it didn't change the fact that the footprints I was looking at were human and he wouldn't happen. He said, no, no, you've got yeah. to be the real thing. So, <laughs> so, so, so in that, so that example, this eyewitness that knew what he saw, that knew a lot about the woods was not able to determine what he saw. And his eyewitness account was not accurate right. or oh, useful. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's, which I know, I know that you think happens. I would never say otherwise. I'm just saying that when we narrow down on them, I think that, I think that it looks like a lot when it's a bunch of, possible ones yeah. but i think when you analyze each one the possible list gets really small. it does get much smaller you're absolutely right. yeah mm. I, I grant you Wait. that and yeah and, i figured you and would the, so and I the just... basis too i mean part of the basis for that is my experience with the footprints where there are so many instances where i've had witnesses report that they had found footprints but unless they're documented unless they're photographed or cast i've learned not to take their word at their description because so, it's very reliable i mean one thing man i get really insecure about is like bias confirmation like so many things in my life i've changed my opinion on and like i would be able to argue just countlessly about how they're right and then eventually i change my mind (laughs) right like i mean it's a lot of things you know and like I, i so every time i'm really confident that i understand economics or politics or something i'm just like man i'm looking for the information that makes me seem right and i can tell you why i'm right but it's yeah. just like there's so much uncertainty that I, I learn the more I learn about the natural world and history and science. I mean, do you ever get concerned that bias confirmation is making you see things in the footprints that maybe isn't there? 
is that a cons- well, like, I'm not saying it's true, sure. but do you ever have that insecurity? Oh, I do. I mean, I have that that sense that that uh, that feeling of of obligation that I need to maybe step back and look at it fresh. Yeah, because that would suck, right? Yeah. I mean, like I'd feel bad yeah, for you no, if, if you yeah. become like you say yeah. you, you not, about me knowing my stuff. And yes, I'm very familiar with the footprints in my collection. Mm-hmm. In some instances, footprints that I was uncomfortable with. To begin with, over time, I become less uncomfortable with. And yeah. the question mm-hmm. is: Is it is it confirmation bias, or have I recognized some aspect that I would, that I missed? I mean, I, I always have to. Whenever people send me footprints, I rarely. I mean, unless it's really obvious, I rarely give them an opinion just right off the cuff. I'll sit and look at yeah. that, and I'll and I'll go away, and I'll think about it, and I'll come back the next day, and I'll open up that file look at it again from a different perspective and then I'll think, well, you know, what if it was someone sent me a, a that what they thought was part of a, a handprint, a, a fingerprint on a windshield or on the side of the car rather, that uh, where the, the oils had then subsequently been highlighted by, by fine road dust adhering mm-hmm. to it. And you know, you first looked at it and, and as they thought, it looked like a very chunky, pinky finger, you know, one that was almost a uh, uh, Twice as big as his finger alongside it, but I got pretty fat, pinky fingers. <laughs> feeling so insecure about yeah. him now. But there were a couple of, of things that just weren't comfortable. I mean, when, when you're familiar with enough of yeah. this, sometimes you get a gestalt impression. It just doesn't look yeah. right, and then you have to stop and think. Well, now why doesn't it look right? Well, because yeah, because well, because basically, like, like so, like Piltdown Man, right? Right, the, like. People were experts at telling about human. Well, obviously, we would say they're not experts, but at the time, they thought they were experts at telling human shape. Like this, totally fit into it. People said this was. Lots of people would argue with a layman or an enthusiast like me and tell me I was wrong if I doubted right. it. You know, but they end up like this was not a real good sample. They were creating models to base it on their bias and their conception. Yep. Because really smart people are really good at telling good stories to lie to themselves. That's true. You know, yeah. like and it's an yeah, it's an unfortunate phenomenon, well, yeah. right? Whoever hopes that you but, know, whoever ultimately is the finger was pointed at it, they uh, they knew just which bits to eliminate, which made it more yeah. ambiguous, just ambiguous enough yeah. that you could maybe convince yourself. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I don't think they were stupid for thinking that was real. You know, it's just, well, and they, they were, were wrong. They weren't given full access to it either. That that was the era yeah. when. You know, fossils were personal property, and unfortunately, and yeah. well, so that 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 brings me to um, to like I, I didn't want to talk too much about particular casts, but I will just about the I may pronounce this wrong, but the the Skookum cast, Skookum right? Cast, yeah, the body. Yeah, so yeah, so that's a cast that is owned by a private enthusiast group that people have not been given access to. I know you were given access to, but you know, you you have a um, a modified interest in it being Bigfoot, which. You know, it's not necessarily mean you're wrong or bad, but you do. Um, I mean, I again, I want Bigfoot to be real too, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, I agree with the motivation. Um, but do you, so? Do you think that that's problematic then? Because like with Piltdown Man, it's problematic that people didn't have full access to it that might be able to debate it. But here, only people that have motivated interest to talk about this cast believe it's true. I also wondered if you still believed it's true now that there's been other plausible explanations for it. Well, we we considered those plausible explanations. Right, I mean, right off the bat, it was one of two things. It was either an elk imprint, an elk bedding type, or it was mm-hmm. something else. It was, you know, it was a, a or yeah. it was just 
nothing. Sure. Yeah, it's option yeah. one, two, or whatever yeah, C exactly. is, right? So, yeah. So we, we should just for our listeners, um, let's just, just describe what the cast like how it came to be. Right. If, if this is correct, there's basically a a um, you know a, a um, commercial venture um, by a company to look for Bigfoot. No, it's private. Um, just a private Pacific. group. No, no, this, this is uh, for a this is for a television show. Oh, there was a camera crew. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, so it's a, it's a commercial interest yep. by a private yep. group, right? So the commercial interest hires a private group to look for Bigfoot. They go to a region in Idaho, which I've been elk hunting in. Beautiful place. Washington. Um, I don't Washington. Uh, Washington. Yeah, but but they leave food out, correct? I believe there are apples. They did. Uh, they did leave some apples. Yeah, some some fruit, yeah. including some apples. And then in the morning, an individual came out to check on the apples. And then he saw an impression in the ground. And then somewhere along the line, um, somebody said the impression was Bigfoot. Or they, you know, suppose it's Bigfoot. I'm not saying they claim it is for sure. And and then there was a cast taken of it. There was not detailed film or photos that I'm aware of of it on the ground. Maybe you were aware of that. There are. But then the cast, there are. Okay, I have not seen them. So um, I, I'll see if I can find them. But um. Then um, this cast is made, and then it is given to you and a few other people to examine. Well, we came. This we came to it. You came yes. to the cast at the time. It was yeah. it was in Derek Randall's workshop. So we uh, up there, just outside of uh, of Tahuya, Washington. Okay, and this is a quite large cast. Yeah, about three, um, three it, lo- three it looks like it looks like the blob a little bit. Um, yeah, and and you, and so there's no, there was no footprints leading up to the cast, right? No, the soil was uh, was quite dry and covered with duff. If we looked at if we looked at this video evidence that was taken, I I'm not aware of it, but let's just assume it exists. I'm not saying you're lying or anything at all. I'm just saying I don't know of it is all. Um, would we see human footprints around the area with people walking around playing the thing? Were they ma- not, making minor impressions not, in the ground? Not uh, no, not not uh, uh, unless they were within that halo. This audio is inserted after the interview. I went back to watch the program Animal X, which is similar to In Search of or Monster Quest, if you're stateside. In the video, you can see at the 7 minute and 43 second mark, there are several gentlemen standing around the cast where there's still some moist mud on the ground. You can see human footprints from their boots. So, to the question of if any humans were able to leave footprints around the general area, but not all the area, yes, they indeed could. As to my question if there's any video or photo taken of it, obviously there was a moderate quality video taken. Were there any high quality photos taken? Not to my knowledge. Also, I'd like to point out that the men examining this print did lie in and around it before taking the cast. The question is, was it a, uh, did, did an elk come up, nibble a bit, and just decide to you know, plop down in that mud or did the, did a Sasquatch? um, uh, So, yeah. So I would frame that would a known animal who is in this region, who performs this kind of activity, leave this track or would a hypothesized unknown animal who is not known to do this, leave this track. And you believe that it's the unknown because there's really an overwhelming part of the impression that convinces you that's more likely. Right. 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 Uh, yeah, we, and what is the impression? I, I'm unfamiliar with this. Is it a full body not a impression? Full body, just parts of the body. What 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 we've interpreted as uh, mm. as the you know the buttock 
the heel that dug in, mm. the elbow of, and forearm and heel of the palm of one arm uh, impressing in. And so mm. others, you know, look at that and they see the haunch of a deer, of, a, of an elk, uh, and mm. the, uh, the wrist of the forelimb uh, in, in the position where we have interpreted it as the, the uh, heel and calcaneal mm. tendon. So one of the first things we did was take those photographs and um, Rick went to the Seattle Zoo and I went out to our Pocatello Zoo, which actually has just endemic, not, ende well, not endemic, but native uh, species. Uh, and mm. it has a big paddock with uh, elk, a sizable group of elk and buffalo for that matter. And we have beautiful elk in the Seattle Zoo. I go yeah. check them out all the time. I love it. And I, I first went to the keeper and I rolled out. We, uh, Rick provided me with a, uh, oh, it's about a two foot by two foot uh, uh, color photographic, glossy photographic print of the mm -hmm. actual imprint, not the cast, but the imprint in the mouth. Mm -hmm. And uh, showed that to the keepers. And I said, have you seen anything you know similar to this? And they said, well, no, not exactly. I said, they say it kind of looks like. So, but let's go out. So we went out and looked at some of the imprints. And yet there are mm. some points that, that bear some superficial resemblance. But what's fascinating is when, like, when, you, when you map the hair direction, the flow of the hair, when you, especially out there on the supposed wrist where the forepaw limb would have been folded under, uh, the hair is running in the wrong direction. But it's running in the right direction. It's mm. going up the lower leg towards the knee as is typical in a primate plus mm. if you're a what a 500 pound elk you know and you're getting up from a reclined position you don't levitate like the dragon in the garage you have to put your support points underneath your center of gravity they, mm. they do it with there their knees no they put like friends. their knees down kind of well they put their i don't know if you've seen one but like when elks get up they kind of put their knees down and then kind of like push off of yeah. that and put their legs and down. And then mm. put their hooves down before they walk. Sure. Okay. The okay. Only, but hoof, but what, the only hoof prints strike. What did Bigfoot do? Well, I mean, did, when it, he put his foot down? I mean, I put my foot down when I jump yes, up. Yes, but, but usually you roll off of your haunch onto your feet, which are placed, you know, at the ends of your legs. And the, mm. the uh, heels were closest to the dry part of this, uh, of this uh, scene. You know, just the outside periphery, and so you know it. It the the alignment. Well, an Australopithecus would have really giant handprints, right? Because they'd have because they would evolve from quadrupeds, or, or likely evolve from quadrupeds. So they would have really large paws still at this point in their evolution. Wouldn't you expect to see large? Paws? Well, there, there you can see the the hand uh, or the uh, heel of the palm on the on the left. I think it's the left arm. So mm -hmm. if you imagine you're down on your on your backside, rolling kind of onto the side of your hip, leaning on an elbow, and then you, with the free hand, you're reaching over to the puddle, picking up the apples, biting, dropping bits of the real hard uh, peeling. They're falling down between your legs, which is right the position that they're in uh, uh, relative, and, and we're photographed in relative to the imprint. You're, each time you reach across with that right arm, you're pushing with your heel, you're extending your leg. And, uh, and then when it's time to get up, you just push off of that elbow and off of the heel of your palm. You don't have to put the full hand down, just the fist basically. And you 
Mm-hmm. You roll up onto the feet on the dry part of the soil and walk away. Now, what was interesting so you- is, is, is Rick went to the Seattle Zoo. He happened to get there just as they were feeding one of the gorillas. And they fed them a basket full of apples. Well, the female walked over there, laid down in exactly the position I described to you. And she each time she reached over to the pile, she stuck in her heel into the dirt. And she then brought an apple back, took one bite out of it, dropped the peeling between her legs, set it down on her right side, and reached over for another. She was marking these apples as hers. Don't take them. And the uh, peelings accumulated down between her legs and and the area of her crotch there between her thighs, just like in the imprint. Do orangutans do that as well? Well, I don't think orangutans come down to the ground to eat like that. They're they're harvesting. Well, well in, in the Seattle Zoo, they have the spot where they actually kind of sit on the ground on these big blankets. Sure. Do it. They, they might not do that in the wild, but we're comparing a gorilla in in the zoo as well. But I mean, so why compare a gorilla instead of an orangutan? Since we think that this is a gigantic orangutan, because no, I don't, think, I don't think they're gigantic orangutans. They the 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 DNA evidence has simply shown that that's the closest sister group. Doesn't say how. Yeah, so I, I meant to descend a possible descendant. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, is what I meant. But, to say. but th- that would have a very could have a very different. They'd have to have a very different uh, locomotor adaptation if they weigh, you know, twice as much at least, if yeah. not more. So, do do you think that's enough time for them to evolve bipedalism if they didn't have oh, it? Oh, sure. Like, yeah, it's like two hundred thousand years. You think would oh, be yeah. enough, well, or do you think it has well, to be bipedalism? More? I mean, bipedalism arose in the hominin fossil record, actually in the hominoid fossil record. There's now evidence. Uh, there's that. Uh, what is it called now? Um, mm, Orin. Uh, um, think of the genus. There's a new. There was just recently a paper. Yeah. There's too uh, many, too many monkeys and apes going know, around, yeah. man. Hard to keep up. <laughs> Denuvius. Denuvius. That was it. Denuvius. Denuvius. The Miocene ape that that uh, showed extreme orthograde posture in its uh, in its pelvis and lower spine and long legs, relatively long legs. So. Um, but but bipedalism probably emerged uh, very rapidly in the hominin evolution. We just you know you can't look back and say, well, it took us seven million years to evolve bipedalism. Well, bipedalism already existed long before we were human, and so it it. Oh yes, yeah. I mean it, it's a it's um a slow process that takes advantages or takes advancements over time in many different ways, of course. Well, sure, um, process, but no, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it just depends on you know. Again, we're talking about possible or probable. You know, we talk about long or short. You have to define sure. your. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, to me, to if this was actually a quadrupedic creature that looked like a large orangutan, like generally, obviously you would have different adaptations, but generally. It's 200,000 years in, in the Pleistocene era when it had to deal with all these, like, you know, Ice Age coming and going things, developing bipedal to the sense that it's largely bipedal and not like, you know, kind of a half and half creature. Mm-hmm. Like, that just seems like a lot to me. Like, it's a lot to ask. It's just more complexity. It's just like, it's harder and harder to get to this. It's not that it's impossible, well, but just take, it's just more and more take things. Take a look at, uh, you know, if you, if you Google bipedal gorillas, you'll one of the examples you'll see is Ambam a gorilla that's resident at the London Zoo who likes to walk on two legs a lot. Yeah, and I can get bipedal bears too, which we do know exist in North America. Uh, yeah. To, well, they, yeah, we have 100,000 bears in North America. Not, and, you know, yeah, some of them are bipedal some of the time. Uh, well, I can tell the difference between a bear track and a and Oh, I believe you can. I don't know. I don't know for sure if you could tell the difference between a very uncommon double strike 
bear print that was just anomalous, like one in a hundred thousand bear print. I, I think that you could tell almost every bear print from every gorilla print. I don't know if you could tell everyone. I beg to because I think. Yeah, I'm, so I, I'm sure I mean, you as would. Long as, as long as it's clear and distinct. I mean, if we're... Well, see, no, but that's what I'm saying. They're not all clear and distinct. A clear no, and distinct not. one, I would give no, you a thousand percent. I would say you could. I would not doubt that. But we're not mm. talking about clear and distinct. We're talking about ones that could, you know, be double drops and drags and falls or swish around or slips, you know, like... And, and those are the ones that become the outliers, which, you know, could be an explanation for the footprints. For some, for those footprints potentially, but then all the ones that are extremely clear, you know, the the three hundred examples uh, of which very very few are obvious hoaxes. Uh, yeah, well, so but some of them are, are obvious hoaxes to me that you don't believe are obvious hoaxes. So, like for example, um, we know for a fact that the person who left the um, I don't really took like the term, but the cripple foot one, right? Like we know for no. a fact the man no who brought it to us was a was a faker not saying necessarily he faked this okay but well, he that, is a charlatan that's, right yeah that's well yes he he was ivan marks was uh, yeah was guilty of, of hoaxing things if you are are familiar with any of his attempts at hoaxing to hmm. equate those with the anatomical detail you know um well, these hold on I, I i want you to get to this but just just if i could just finish the yeah. so my, my point is like so we have some that are possible, some that are probable, some that some maybe could be bears, some you just think are certainly not bears, right? And then we have like one that you think is really good, certainly not a bear. I'm saying that I don't know what it is and I can't really argue about the atomic features, but I do know that the source we got it from was from a, a, a dirty filter. This person is known to be interested in hoaxing Bigfoot, did attempt to hit ho um, hoax Bigfoot, like several different times. And then we have a footprint. We don't have a train of footprints. The reason why we don't have a tra like a trail of footprints is because they're like, oh, there's a river, there's a train track. Just like we don't have a trail of footprints from the cast we talked about before because, you know, they're this reason or that reason. So it just seems like why are all these explanations of why the evidence could be better always? It's not better. And and I, I, I feel like that's problematic. Well, sure. Yeah, there, there are. It's not all all clean uh, and and pristine. You're you're right. But Ivan Marx wasn't the sole person uh, involved with this. He was there at the same time with Rene de Hinden when these were discovered. Well, he could have been if he faked it. He's the sole person, right? And that that hypothesis, well, if he yeah. faked it, he could have sure. been the sole person. Yeah, hmm. but then then I come back to that to that point that if you compare the quality of his attempted fakes, hmm. <laughs> so I mean, it just it just speaks to the. The quality, you know, if you go watch the the uh, the floppy costume white of the white Sasquatch that Rene or that uh, Ivan Marks tried to to foist on the public, uh, compared to this, uh, it, I mean, it, there's just no comparison. So I mean, it's like they say, even if 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 these were discovered by Ivan rather than Rene on this occasion, as they say, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Well, yeah, and even a bad hoaxer makes a good hoax once in a while. Yeah, fine, yeah. Well, let let me make it like an analogy. So, like, I I used to um, sell trade collector cards a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I I was an expert in it, and like an actual like you don't get a degree, but I'm an expert in it. I made a lot of money selling a trade. I could tell uh, fake cards. Like almost no one can do it. It's you need to know the ink and all this stuff, right? Same stuff that you know about the footprints. Just a bunch of jargon and nuance that only nerdy people would care about. Um, 
So if you tell me like, oh, this card is from a fake pack, and I look at it, I'm like, well, this is a real card. I I can tell it's a real card. You know, I can so I can see why you would say that. But if um I didn't see the pack opened, and you told me it was from a a real pack, and I don't have this provenance that's prestige of the source of it, I would then doubt my ability to tell if it was fake and think that I'm either missing something or that it's an especially good fake. Or to a certain degree, it would lower my my um, confidence 30 or 40% or mm-hmm. whatever. I wouldn't not let the provenance affect it because the provenance is really important. I mean, like yeah. in, you know, in archaeology, like everything that's around the thing is hugely important to oh, determining yeah. what it is, right? Like oh, it's yeah. a huge deal. But it seems to me that you don't value that stuff as, as much. You think that the footprint in and of itself is like the best primary evidence and all the provenance around it isn't quite as important. Well, I, I certainly, I think, would, uh, would, would prioritize and, and, and scale the impact. I, I think ultimately, though, it is the evidence of the footprint itself, the, the, you know, the prima facie evidence, and the contextual is absolutely important. And certainly, I, I mm-hmm. rely on those kinds of things. And, and the, the consistency and correlation with other subtleties, you know, jargon and, and subtleties, as you, as you point out, um, that that point to consistencies that, uh, in in many instances, uh, a potential hoaxer would be very very unlikely to be aware of, to to expect them to incorporate those yeah. kinds of functional details and. A lot of people that make fake fake cards do not get all the stuff right. They often right. get it wrong. Yeah, like mm. I do agree with you. Okay. People do make fake dollar bills though, and they do get away with it. Right. Oh, sure. And that has a level of scrutiny higher than either of these topics. So we're talking money, right? Like, like <laughs> the, the, the state itself is interested because it's a fiat currency. It's right. like one of their primary concerns. And fake money gets made. Sure. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, so, like, let's say, let's say, I don't know your level of confidence that the footprint's real. Would you mind giving me a number? I know it's it's kind of fuzzy, but if you wouldn't mind. Well, when you say the footprint, so you... you... I'm sorry, by the footprint, the, the cripple footprint. Oh, the cripple footprints. Oh, yeah. I would be, you know, in the high 90s at least. Okay, mm. so, so, so what percentage, like, if you knew for a 100% fact that the guy who made it is a faker, it doesn't necessarily mean it's fake, how much does that affect that then? Is that... Five percent. The guy 10%? who made it, the guy who poured the. Cap- well, I, I'm sorry. I should not have said made it. That was biased. I sh- I'm that. You're right. I <laughs> should have said the guy who, the guy who said, "Hey, look, a footprint." Yeah. Right. Um, it, it gives me pause. Certainly gives me pause to, to consider it. But like I said, um, in this particular case, give me a number, man. I just want to hear I, a number. Oh, a number. Yeah, yeah. So, like, is he? Does this? Does the fact that a, a charlatan points at the footprint? That otherwise seems real to you. Does that affect it? But ten percent, twenty percent, five percent? Like, well, what's the rate? I can't put a number on it. Like, cost on most people now. Yeah, I could ad- I could people. admit that it is like reasonable for you to believe in Bigfoot, and not reasonable for me to believe in Bigfoot. Like, that's possible, you know? Yeah. Because, like, based on the evidence that I see, it seems to me people are saying these footprints are zebras and not horses. And they're in Texas. I'm just like they're horses, right? <laughs> how, like, how would you feel if a if an eDNA study was tested in uh, I don't know the Pacific Northwest uh, in search of uh, primate DNA, unknown primate DNA, um, and the results came back that uh, they they weren't able to find um, any unknown primate DNA? Um, what would would that impact your views at all? Or oh, sure it would. 
I mean, it's a mm. poor piece of evidence. It isn't necessarily, uh, you know, the, the lack of evidence isn't, uh, isn't necessarily evidence of the absence, as of, uh, yeah. said. It, it, but, it can be, but not necessarily. Exactly, yeah. not necessarily. Yeah. So it would be another very big and heavy weight on the scale uh, or piece of the puzzle. I'd say I'd say maybe the an apologist way to say that is um the reason why I think DNA is so um DNA and skeletons are held uh skeptics hold so high, hardly to them is that it's one of those things that it's so difficult to uh uh I guess uh, uh fake I guess Well sure yeah uh, it's very it's hard to hide, isn't it? it's it's, it's yeah. easy. that that's the that doesn't take any work I mean if yeah. someone's in with a skull it's a game over it's done the story's the story's yeah. But that's like why we have the Gigantopithecus blackie hypothesis, right? Because somebody wanted a holotype. And so they said, okay, that's my holotype. Uh, well, not originally. I think, I think John Green was motivated out of, you know, establishing a context. Because people were asking, well, what in the world? But didn't he try to name it? And they told him he no, couldn't name was, it unless he had a holotype? Was, that was Grover Krantz. Oh, God, it's Grover Krantz. That's Grover correct. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, and he right. did. He, he, he got out, of, off, you know, out into the weeds when he suggested that uh, a new species could be recognized on the basis of the footprints alone. It can. Mm. But Yeah, and, and I give you credit for saying that, because like I said, the footprints, I think, don't get us there, but you no. think they're very compelling. I think they're not very compelling, but I do appreciate the research into them. I do. Yes. Are there... Are there any um are there any people in your field, Jeff, that uh that are experts in footprint um footprints that disagree with you by any chance? Oh sure. Of course. Who I mean you wouldn't expect it to be otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess there there's always also, variation. But there are also others who behind uh, behind closed doors are quite intrigued and quite uh, enthusiastic supporters. I guess it kind of makes it hard. So like if this is a different subject, right? We're saying, are, are there any red birds left or are all, all the birds blue and all the, you know, uh, bird color experts are like, well, it seems they're all blue. And one says, well, I know about a particular part of bird feathers more than anybody else. And I say that there's a red bird and it's for a very good reason. But all the other bird color experts are like, well, we all think it's blue. Like how, how could a person listening to this debate agree with the red bird hypothesis uh well well if, if you're painting that as an analogy of what of what i just described i think that's a little unfair because it's i'm not the only voice i'm not a, the lone voice crying in the wilderness i'm well you're not the only person saying it's I mean, a footprint experts I, excuse are me other no no uh, other yes, foot yes, there are others who who okay who, uh who are very sympathetic uh mm. you know all, for all the reasons we talked about at the beginning yeah um mm. I, i'm one of the few who was whether you want to call it naive enough or idealistic enough to forge after a question, a scientific question on its merits in spite of preconception and nearly cost me my job. It nearly cost me my job. And others, having seen the uh, uh, grief healed, uh, heaped upon me, are much less likely, especially mm. before uh, reaching job security and tenure and, and uh, you know, uh, they are uh, more conservative in their uh, public pronouncements. But behind the mm. scene, I have lots of interactions with people who are very intrigued and very sympathetic and very uh, encouraging to keep at it. It, so, it seems like in your experience, there's a, a Bigfoot stigma um, where people here in, in academia or in, uh, in science, they, they hear Bigfoot and they, they kind of uh, keep quiet on it. Or, uh, oh, is that, is, that, is that accurate? Yeah. Absolutely. So do you, you think you think yeah, if this no. um 
not not like a hard conspiracy, but the soft conspiracy against this, this conspiracy of quiet. Um, do you think that this wasn't there, that mm-hmm. the evidence would be much more compelling? Uh, well, no, okay. the nature of the evidence wouldn't change. The, the open-mindedness or the objectivity of the viewers of the evidence might change, yeah. We ran a very non-scientific poll on Twitter. <laughs> so the data means who knows what. But uh, we just asked like our listeners like what their uh, confidence level was in Bigfoot possibly existing. Uh, I thought you'd like to hear the results. So um, 10 plus percent was the highest mark someone could vote, which got 10.1 percent. Um, 5 percent got 5.6 percent. 1 percent or approaching 1 percent was 23 and then approaching zero was 61.3. So it seems like the confidence interval is pretty low, but there there was more fives than 10 pluses. I mean, more 10 pluses than five. So you, you do got some people in the 10 pluses, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in the 90 plus level. That's, that's where you're in. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I, based, on, based on the evidence I've engaged. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm up there. It's, you know, uh, but then again, the way the question is worded, see, again, it's, it's uh, either or. I mean, do you, the, the, the probability that Sasquatch exists. But it'd be interesting if you ran another poll and asked mm. the question, how, you know, where do you place your uh, percentage for the, um, uh, uh, I mean, how reasonable is it or, or uh, how much effort should we put into uh, continued investigation. I, I think you get a lot of support because I mean, we wouldn't be talking to you if we didn't value your research. For yeah, I think so too. Well, sure, but I mean, I and mean, that's the point that I, I tried to make, where I, I'm not trying to make an argument to convince people solely on the evidence at hand that this creature exists or this species mm-hmm. exists. I'm saying, on the basis of the evidence at hand, we should be pursuing this investigation. We shouldn't throw this out arbitrarily. I, I, I would say we on, haven't um, thrown it out arbitrarily. There's been 50 years, you know, and resources put into it, not to the level that you would like, but even not even non-scientific. There's been private, you know, people paying for hunters and paying for people to go into the woods. Or uh, there's been, you know, for-profit enterprises doing this a lot. And they just have nothing that has convinced the greater scientific community but I, I think that you would see a lot of support for continued research. Again, like, I don't think I'd have a Loch Ness Monster person on the podcast, even though that's my favorite monster. I, I want him to be true so much. I'm very biased towards it. But I just think it's... <laughs> gee. <laughs> but, like, like, like I think Bigfoot is an order of magnitude <laughs> more likely than the Loch Ness Monster. But I think... I think they're both approaching zero, sadly. Was, yeah. I, I, I don't want to say that, you know? Like... I just, that's what I think. That just seems to me the more likely thing, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that I think the word, the world is getting smaller and it's uh, it's getting harder for, there's less places for uh, uh, unknown species to hide, I guess, Um, is is my opinion. But I might be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's fine. Um, So can I, I, can I ask, this is not an area of your (laughs) expertise, uh, but it's on topic, like, there's a certain Native American story that I get see used as evidence, right? And and like you used the that as evidence specifically a couple times, but in your one story, like 
oh, well, we would have seen them. And you say, well, they're scat footprint stories, right? So like it's it's a it's a part of your um your, like packet of evidence is the story about the hairy man, right? Well, right. no, um, so with, 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 yeah, with the pictographs, yeah. And, and so like the like the story man. that I forget the lady's yeah. name, which I really mm-hmm. apologize for. I should have written it down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So she she wrote yeah, about Kathy this Strain, kind of probably. like creation myth, and she calls it the hairy man, right? But I I, I read her thing. I looked right. at her primary source. I have it right, right. in front of me. And literally her primary source says it's a grizzly bear and quotes the grizzly bear saying people should be able to stand on their hind legs like me and they should have no tail. She has that exact same quote in her source, but she says the hairy man says that. And so, like, I wondered if if you accepted the evidence that I said, if you looked at it, like, would you no longer use that story? Or um, do you think that, like, she's right that it they didn't mean grizzly bear and they meant Bigfoot? I, I just wonder because it just seemed like a, a known anecdote that was wrong that I saw. And so I'm not trying to got you. I was just wondering, like, would you be susceptible to no longer using that anecdote? No, no. I'll go look at the yeah. primary source and see what that says. But but others, I mean, her paper that's published in the Relic Commonwealth Inquiry went out to several cultural anthropologists yeah. and reviewed it. And nobody raised the point that you've just raised. So that's the Yours mm-hmm. is the first, and I've read yeah, this. It's, it's a beautiful story. creation mythology. I, I really like it. Uh, you know, like um, the, and the pictographs themselves are just fantastic. It, it yeah. just shows like the creativity and like just the beautiful storytelling of all these different diverse groups that were in the Americas at the time. You know, that's neither here nor there, but it's just that's a level of interest to me, and I just want to mm-hmm. give them a shout out. Mm-hmm. So, this recording was made after the interview. I just wanted to make a note. Well, it's true that Western anthropologists might bring a different perspective to analyzing or cataloging Native American stories, it is vitally important to also get the perspective of the stories from the people that inherited those stories, to seek out those groups and see how they still tell them. There's a very rich culture of many different groups in North America that have absolutely fantastic mythologies, creation myths, characters, fables, art, And when we try to retrofit that art, sometimes we can make it lose its uniqueness to make it fit more Western-style storytelling. And so if you can, please try to look at original sources from Native American group. Um, Yeah, I just really, man, I want to thank you coming on the show. You know, like, this is a really long Mm -hmm. conversation. And obviously, there's some things we really disagree about. There's some things we really agree about. (laughs) But one thing I really respect is your, like, dedication and seriousness. And your willingness to talk to people who disagree with you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes you have to say, well, like, I don't think you're right. And that can be kind of cagey or emotional. But I I think you're a really honest and good person Mm -hmm. and easy to talk with about this stuff. So, Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. I really appreciate you talking with us. And and I know it's kind of. I, 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 I don't like, I'm, I'm always nervous whenever I disagree with people. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're still friends and we still really respect you, man. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. As long as, you know, as long as uh, everyone can be reasonable and, and uh, yeah, acknowledge uh, other points of view uh, for the merits that they are based upon. then yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, my man? We want to make sure that you feel fairly represented on the podcast. Oh, no, so. no, that was, uh, that was a, a wide ranging conversation and ups and downs and back and forths and around. Yeah. Well, we, we took about three hours of your time and, and that's a very gracious. Yeah, of you. Thank you and so much. Really? I hope it was worthwhile. 
It was awesome. Oh yeah, definitely. We we are very happy to have you on, and we really appreciate yeah. it. And I uh, wish you all the best, and enjoy the sun well, up here in the northwest. Why we have it. Sorry about the technical. I, technical. Fault it's okay. No worries. I'm sure the Bigfoots will be sweating it out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Take care. All right. You have a good night. Bye. Bye. All right. So should we talk about Monster Quest? Monster Quest. Monster Quest. Head start. Witnesses around the world report seeing monsters. Are they real or imaginary? Science searches for answers. On Monster Quest. Okay, so we interrupt this long interview to return yes. to what's really important, the yes. show from the 2000s about monsters. <laughs> so we watched yes. this two-part episode of Monster Quest, episode two, all in caps, Bigfoot attack. Bigfoot attack. And it was uh, it was not about a Bigfoot attack. It was about a Bigfoot who had attacked, allegedly. <laughs> well, so, he threw rocks at the building once. Yeah, allegedly. a guy in the woods threw a rocket. We should have asked him about those rocks, man. I don't think he was there for that, I believe. No, he was. He was one of the people that claimed to have the rocket hit him. Oh, well, now I feel bad. Um, <laughs> okay, so so what happened in this episode, Trey? You, you tell me, my man. All right, all right. There's this cabin in the woods in Canada on this, this remote lake, middle of nowhere. And in the early 2000s, something came in there and just tore the crap out of it. It was it was angry. It was pissed off. It broke a sink. It jumped on the sink. It like smashed papers. Tore. It, it was it was wrecked. That whole cabin did not and look good. Did not look good. I don't. And they had insurance for it, I guess. So hopefully they they got the covered. But apparently Bigfoot really hates this cabin, and he just shows up there all, all the time just to just to. I don't know. He's upset. He does show up quite frequently. I don't know why. He, he really just doesn't like this cabin. Um, and so the Monster Quest team. Okay. So they, they put out. So the owner of this cabin put out a, a, a board of nails um, in front of the door of the cabin. So next time something came in there, uh, it would step on the board of nails and just it go ah, fuck, and, and, and run away, I guess. And you get hey, blood. Booby trap Bigfoot. <laughs> booby trap. It's like a Home Alone style trap. With the, they should have the paint cans. Movie. Stop it. We're <laughs> done with the podcast. I'm done writing comics. No more YouTube for you, buddy. We're in the business of making Home Alone versus Bigfoot. This is the best <laughs> idea we've ever had. We're not going to think of a better one. We get Macaulay Culkin back. He's adult yeah. now. And he, he gets like the paint cans to like hit Bigfoot in the woods. Boonk, and, he, and we capture him. That is amazing. Macaulay Culkin returns and Home Alone versus Big Time. This time, it's personal. We get we get a whole bunch of booby tra- famous characters who create booby traps in movies. I'm getting it. I'm, I'm getting okay, a team so then together. Big, Bigfoot starts to win, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then and Macaulay Culkin's fighting him off. You know, he's all out of marbles. There, there's no cans. <laughs> there's no blow torches. What there's no tarantula do? to put on him. And then you just see the hairy bandits step out and be like, on your left. And they're like, you know what, kid? We're here to redeem you. And they they fight him off. I mean, it's just gonna. It's so good. <laughs> Marv, Marv and Harry come out and they yep. they save him. That's yep. amazing. And then, and then the other, the fourth favorite Home Alone character, Donald Trump, shows up and he's <laughs> and he is eaten. <laughs> Prom- promptly eaten. He goes, "Hey, what's up?" And Bigfoot like attacks him. Bigfoot like donuts him, punches him. <laughs> Anyways, I wonder what uh, Big what Trump's a. Uh, what you think Trump when came into office? He got like the the debriefing about Bigfoot. They said Bigfoot's letter, real, Mr. Letter, President. Letter forty four, they call it. <laughs> Bigfoot's real, Mr. President. 
what? Uh, anyway, so they put the the the, the, the board with not, like uh, nails in it. We step in. So something apparently stepped on it and left a bloody print or and left meat or something there. And then the cabin owner proceeds to leave the the, the bloody board out in the out in the elements for two years. <laughs> and the rain like a fruit and roll up snow. was on it. Like the blood, <laughs> I was like, that's a delicious looking cherry fruit roll up right there. Yeah, it looked like yeah. And and he he believed it was a, a Bigfoot. It might have been a Bigfoot, right? Like So why? I just So I why leave know. it out in the elements for two years? That's what I'm saying. Every single time there's a mitigating circumstance why the evidence doesn't work. Every time. Yeah. Yeah, so they they got the 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 monster quest team to yeah. test the blood and whatever tissue or whatever was on the board, um, but they weren't they weren't uh, hopeful. They said it was like degraded a lot or something. Yeah, I believe, and I believe one guy said, "No, nah, I don't think it's Bigfoot." And then one of the people in the episode checked themselves, and he said, "Maybe it could be. You know, it could be anything." So they got so what they got was. Um, in the episode, they apparently tested it and were not able, or no, you know what the guy said, uh, Curtis, Dr. Curtis, something, mm-hmm. what was his name? Um, he tested it and said that it was an unknown, it, it was, it resembled the sequence that he tested. It was a very small sequence. Um, and it resembled a human just with one, a single, um, base pair, a single base pair. Um, and he kind of used jargon to make it sound more important than it was. A single base pair yeah. was different. Um, and, and it was different in a way that was so when a single base pair sw- switched like that, it was like, imagine it was a G instead of a T or something. Sure. Um, it, which, which in the single base, in the single base pair on this long, not long, but short stranded DNA when everything else was identical to human. Mm-hmm. And he said that is evidence that this is a unknown primate of some could just be a mutation, right? Or it could just be, see, the thing is, is he sort of, I don't want to say he meant to do this maybe the editing made it so this way yeah we always but, have to um, give people the benefit of the doubt on that yeah where so it it seems like he was saying oh, it could not it could be this but um the majority opinion is that it's probably just a human that's that has a a unique mutation at this um base pair because what he was doing is, is he used language for i gotta see what he actually said um yeah it essentially means that people in the general population don't have that base pair there. The, the big, people in the general population have a T there instead of a G, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an unknown species or anything like that. Yeah. And what they didn't talk about in the episode is that um, they didn't really know some of the other stuff that they tested wasn't uh, wasn't uh, they didn't yield any information from it. Mm-hmm. But we now know through like, interviews afterwards is that the DNA they did test is one was one hundred percent human. Uh, let's see. So there were three t- samples. Let's see. So what did a said. dude step on that nail board then? Yeah. The hair sample, the hair sample was human. The blood on the thing was human. And then the muscle fibers on the thing was a mix of human and possum. Okay. So something happened on that nail board. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when I burglarize homes, yeah. I wear possum on my feet. <laughs> and I, every burglar I know does the same thing. You go, nice try. The old yeah. nail board track. You'll, you'll never get me alive, campers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was nothing. It, it was a possum probably went in there. No, I don't know. A person independently might have stepped on it or something along the. We, it it wasn't a Sasquatch, probably. 
Yeah, the kind of meat that was on there was a nothing burger. Yeah, it was a nothing burger, and the the episode ex- misrepresented it, I think. Um, and so, and so, like, yeah, they they basically try to find DNA, try to find the Sasquatch attacked this. I it looked like a bear attacked it to me, but they asked yeah. a bear expert, and he says no. But I mean, I fought a bear before. <laughs> oh my god! Whoa, 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 whoa! You fought a bear? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! What was the context of this? Was it I was camping in the woods in in Greater Northern California, like the actual north, mm-hmm. right? I had a bunch of Captain Crunch cereal. Uh oh. This was my breakfast for like six or seven days. So a very important, vital food source. Otherwise, I would have to eat Raisin Bran, which I refuse to do. <laughs> and so I wake up one night because I have to pee. I start yeah. walking out there. I catch this bear. He looks over at me. He's up in my cabins, which are up on the side of a tree. He's standing up like a Sasquatch. And I catch him. And he just looks back at me. He got <laughs> one one Captain Crunch on the ground. Ruined. Spilled. <laughs> in, the do- in the domain of the ants the other is just hanging from his jaw you know oh god and i'm just like what the heck bear so i had a football i threw the football at him and i missed terribly it was pathetic <laughs> and then the bear like looked at me like he was scared i was like give him my captain crunch bear and he took off running and so does that count as a fight yes because i challenged him i would i would agree that that was a fight i challenged him to out. a fight and he's like that guy has a better thumb than me <laughs> I'm not messing with humans. They're destroying my habitat, you know. Yeah. And then he left, and I and the moral of the story is then I had to eat raisin bran. Oh, boo! Yeah. I don't know Dang. if the story is relevant, but you know, no, that's an interesting story. Bears, right there. bears are messy monsters, and I don't like them. Yeah, like his his main reason why he said the bear wasn't the one that attacked the cabin was that it didn't eat up the refrigerator or the antifreeze or something. Um, which apparently smells like ant hills. Um, they commonly do that, but this could have just been the rare circumstance where the bear didn't smell that, or maybe it was out of antifreeze in that section. I don't know. If a bunch of stuff, including food is ruined in the woods and you think a human is unlikely. Yeah. The likely solution is it's a bear. Yeah. Even if there's one sign of a bear, not there, there's a bunch of other signs that it's a bear. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Maybe you left I mean, the door open. It was a bear in. or a possum bandit. And I don't know. <laughs> Occam's Razor says bear. Well, yeah. And it was interesting. So they subsequent. So there was there was that Sasquatch attack part two a season later where they sort of retested the hair. So in the episode, they said the hair couldn't have been human because it lacked a, a central fiber shaft or something like that. Um, That's but what then they, guy Jeff was saying. Yeah. And then they retested it at a different uh, facility, a private company that tests uh, hair. And the guy said it was human hair and it was bleached human head hair. That was Caucasian. Yeah. It was um, M&M. It was M&M. It was M&M. The, those bleached tips of Sasquatches got the bleached yeah. tips. Um, and he was able to, I think he was able to confirm that it was bleached. And that would, ex- died that would explain all the sightings. If Bigfoot is M&M, there's a million of people just like him. Right? <laughs> so they're all over. Oh, so so yeah, it was it was some kid I think at this place holding a possum, and then a bear made a joint in. So a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities. So yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't a Sasquatch at this cabin. But the, anyways, that was not the crux. The, I guess that was the crux of the episode. But the uh, other part of it is that the the Monster Quest team visited the cabin and just kind of had a vacation there for a week. That's awesome, though. (laughs) Painful vacation. This show is basically like 
it's, it's put on by big camera, yeah. right? Big, big camera benefits greatly from this show. And then it's just like send uh, working scientists on field trips, which yeah. I support that. They do. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there yeah. was the other guy, right? Who was an expert in primates who like walked around the woods and tried to cosplay a Bigfoot, a role play <laughs> a Bigfoot. And he's the like, guy with the dark Bigfoot, hair? I'd eat. Yeah, I, I for, apologize for not remembering his name, but he's like, I if I was a Bigfoot, I would grab that grouse right there and eat it. That guy. <laughs> that guy. All right, he was apparently like a primatologist in his his heyday. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Sasquatch at- the, the the episode two is called, it's titled Sasquatch Attack Proven by DNA, which is oh, not what happened God. in the episode. Wow. <laughs> Oh no! Why would they do this? History the whole, Channel. The whole rock thing too. Oh yeah. I, I, I wanted to. Like, yeah. I wish we asked him about it. it might have been a little awkward. Um, it would because apparently in the episode, yes. the the people there they had rocks thrown at them at the night, and they threw rocks back, and then it hit the top of the cabin or something like that. It was like a tennis ball rock, and they said that that was the Bigfoot. And the ooh, my voice cracked. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> That's uh, gonna be the intro, buddy. That's the new intro. <laughs> well, they do say, you know, like everybody's in here except for the camera guy who was outside filming, obviously. Yeah. And I assume the boom mic o- operators out there. Yeah. Which they don't mention those two people at least, right? I mean, look, I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to say that anybody's lying, and I definitely don't think anybody in the cabin knew this. No. But. If you're asking me if I think someone was throwing rocks in the cabin, yes, that's what I believe happened. Yeah, I think so too. I think somebody was like, shite, we didn't get anything out of this week-long trip. We spent money, like, we gotta get something. Because the first episode was much better than the second episode. Yes, the second episode, like, I think we can both agree, the second episode sucked. Yeah, and, and we mentioned that Jeff, to his credit, Jeff is in that episode, and they're like, some ladies are picking blueberries, and they're like, Bigfoot legit was here. And he looked and was like, yeah, that's a bear. <laughs> and then, you know, like, it's like 15 minutes of the episode that they, they don't find anything. They just find blueberries, which are delightful. And I hope people find them and enjoy them. No, 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 no. that's that's great. I, I, <laughs> I prefer a large bipedal creature, part man, part ape. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's just well, me. That... It's, a, it's a preference thing. It's a matter of opinion. Episode two was a, a glorified clip show. It was yeah. just reuse clips from the first episode. And it was just kind of lazy. So that's basically the monster quest for this episode. Um, next time we'll be watching the giant squid episode, which yes. is my personal favorite animal. And this is probably one of the best episodes of monster quest. Cause guess what? It's real. It, it actually turned out to be real. Thank goodness. And monster quest. I believe I, I'll double check this when we review it actually had new footage, which mm-hmm. is a hu- huge success for a show like this. And maybe one of the only times. Yeah. I remember, I remember that, that, that being a breakthrough that they, they got new footage of an unknown animal and that was, or not unknown animal, but a rare and an elusive yeah. animal. So if um, you want to watch along with the podcast, watch episode three, and then we'll talk about it next time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. So that is this episode. It's going to be a long episode. I'm going to have a hard time editing it. We had a fantastic conversation with one of the leading experts who's worth talking to on the Bigfoot phenomenon. I, I believe, uh, mythology hypothesis explains the evidence best he yeah. believes a relic hominoid does based on the footprints trey i don't know what do you believe where are you coming down i believe that i think he i don't mean to be mean to to jeff or anything but i think there is a little bit of a like confirmation bias when looking at the footprints i i think um footprint you can see a lot of things in footprints that 
they see a lot of things and things that um, aren't actually there. I know that there's people who see human footprints and dinosaur footprints and the Paluxy tracks and stuff. Oh, and yeah. I don't know. I think maybe something's going along here. I, he might, he's, he, he most likely disagrees with me in that case. I think, um, I don't know. It's, I, I don't, I don't want to be mean in the sense no, that and we, we both like Jeff and definitely appreciate yeah. his time. But, and I but, appreciate, and I respect him as a, a, an expert, but I, I, I think I disagree on him on this part where s- certain tracks come from spurious sources. And then I think what you, you see what you want to see in some of them. I yeah. think, I don't know. It, I, I think the lack of a body, the lack of DNA, lack of um, any fossil record is one of the, the kickers for me. It's, it's yep, one of those we love, things. Where we love a show. bones, love a body. We love a body. That's like the one f- footprints. You can kind of go like, I don't know, like those can be faked. Those can be misidentified. Um, bones and DNA is like, you can't really argue with that. Yeah, not anymore. Right. The, after yeah. Piltdown, man, you're not faking bones anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah, people so people know about that, and I feel like big Bigfoot, if it exists or if it did exist, we probably should have found some uh, some physical DNA or skeletal or fossil evidence of it. And yeah. unfortunately, I think we, we found, found I think we found memetic evidence. You know, is my opinion. So yeah. that's a meme. That's what Bigfoot yeah. is in the end of the day. Um, so this episode's going to be shorter from what we recorded. We recorded about four hours today on, <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon, everybody. Um, so what's probably going to happen is I'm going to narrow this down to about 140, 150, maybe maybe two hours just because it's a special episode. And mm-hmm. then there's going to be a lot of extra content. Uh, the show itself doesn't have a Patreon right now, but I'll probably throw the four-hour version up on my Patreon, and then people could just check it out there if they'd like to. Yeah. Um, you can follow me at After the Gold Rush Shot Space and Trey. Yeah, you can follow me at uh, Trey at Trey underscore Explainer, or just Trey the Explainer on uh, YouTube. Just check yeah. it, look it in. So you can Google me and Miles Grab and find all my stuff, and we'll have the additional one out there. The show's host, the podcast is hosted on everything now. We're on iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. So what you're gonna want to do is say to yourself, "Man, what a great podcast!" And then you're gonna go, <laughs> you're gonna give us a review. It's gonna be really nice or really mean. We 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 appreciate nothing in the middle. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so give us a review, give us a share, give us a listen, help it out because, uh, you know, we, we spent our whole day working on this and we love talking about this stuff and getting feedback has been awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, thank everybody. Thank you all so much for checking this out. And, uh, hopefully we're wrong and Bigfoot is real. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Bigfoot being, being caught. He's going to get hit by a semi and we're going to see him in the New York times or something like that. I would, I would love that. I feel so bad if I saw one and was like, man, do I shoot it or not? Because, man, I would not want to shoot it. But if I didn't and then no one would believe me, I would feel Ooh. stupid my whole life. That's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe you could shoot it in the leg and just scoop up some of that blood. I would That's even worse. Him, <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> I would promise to tell him the whole story of Star Wars with sound effects if he would just sit there for a moment and so <laughs> I could get some hair. And I'm sure he would oblige. I was like, you'll never hear such a cool story. And then, like, you'll hear the lightsaber sound effect and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, wait, whoa, 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 I skipped over one thing in this episode. There was a, a story of a man oh, having lightsaber? coffee with Bigfoot. Wait, oh, oh my god! <laughs> okay, so I don't even want, let's just, let's just leave this here. We're not yeah. going to explain it, watch it yourself. Oh, there's, yeah, yeah. There's a story we forgot to tell you. It's about a man, coffee, and Bigfoot. He goodbye. drinks the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. sorry. <laughs> I learned to think like you. 
nothing bores me that's that nothing is thought through Bottled up at this time Won't you 